0: At Coco Talk, we'd like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show. So, our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Patrick Randolph, Eric Canales, Frodo, and Al. Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichard, Kyle Etter, Mal Michael Pitsley Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Richard Lorbieski, Rob Inman, Steve Batson, Steven Wagner, Terry Steen, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C, Tom S, Tim Limner, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-colore comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS80 Color
1: Baseball and you're listening to Coco Talk.
2: Can't hear Stevie they're saying. No.
3: Nah, that's that's probably that's probably a
0: Testies, testes, testes one two. Testies, testes. Okay, now the meter is moving. I swear yep, to God. OB- yeah.
2: I-, I heard you on the stream.
0: All right, yeah. So OBS has not been my friend today. The universe has not been my friend for a long time now. I have been fighting the powers of the universe that are trying to make me freaking move to a different universe. And I'm finally, I'm almost to the point where I say, screw it, universe, you win. But to the, not today, universe. Not today. The show is going on despite... The universe's plans against me but we're here the no computer difficulties will hold us down we've got a panel we've got a show we got my microphone working so yeah I'm sure people probably liked it a few minutes ago when my microphone wasn't working but as I was saying we're here on episode 199 we are just one away from our 200th episode and there we go so on the panel today uh, we have our news anchor, our foreign correspondent from the Great White North. We have L. Curtis Boyle. Hello, Curtis.
4: Hello, everyone. Hopefully, no more technical glitches during the show. It's it's been a a treat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We've got the cat puked on his bed. Mark Bosley's here. Hopefully, he'll be back in a little bit when he's done. Hey, I'm that. here, there he is. Wireless <laughs> mics. There we go. I thought I heard something yeah, flushing it, over there. That counts as a project update. <laughs> <laughs> a pro- I got or an acqui- I just project acquired. Upchuck, I just acquired some cat puke. Is that an acquisition? <laughs> so- <laughs> uh, Chuck,
1: <Dave.
0: laughs> yeah. just, good good timing. Good timing. Oh my good. Cat puke talk. That's right. Okay. And then we have speaking Hello. of cats, we've got Alan Murphy with his nice knitted with hat and cat his acquisition. his cat acquisition. We've got a guy who's a big fan of the news segment, Michael Furman. Here, hey Mikey, he likes it. He likes it.
5: <laughs> hey guys, how's it going? Thanks for being Good here, to be Mikey. With you today,
0: Mikey, you officially made it to the credits. I don't know if you noticed that uh, you are now in the credits of people to thank. So, oh yes, wow, you're thank in there. You. You, yeah,
5: he, I I know I, I know I saw uh, my my picture pop up a couple times yes, uh, yes. last week. So.
0: All right, and then we have a guy who knows the thing about toggle switches. Jason, the Coco Man Riker, is here. Hello, Jason. He's got a it cat. Hello, oh,
3: everyone. And I'll I go ahead and bring Rocky the cat in. All and, right. Uh, I have a di- Dr. Pepper off screen, but I have the cat right all now. Right. You no,
4: know, we just have to get them all to puke in sync. Yeah. No, I, no, I'd <laughs> rather I'd rather
3: not. Come on, Gizmo, you can do it. Oh, come on, no, Rocky, let's not do that. We've let's got go. a guy
0: oh. from sunny Arizona. He's always happy. He's always full of life and positivity. He is the shining star in a sometimes cloudy world. But he is Ron Delvo. Hello, Ron. Hello there. We are very (laughs) pleased to have you with us. Uh, We have a guy who likes to hear his name mentioned. So we have uh, it's contractually obligated that his name is mentioned many times throughout the program. You know him. You love him. We're talking about David.
1: <laughs> oh! 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 Ooh, bird! the old switcheroo, There's
5: the anyway.
0: I see what you did there with the product placement on the switcheroo, too. Yeah, I did. did, did. All right, so we must say his name at least three times. So we're talking about. All right. Good night, everybody. Show's over. All right. Nick Morota, thank you for being here. And how are you today? I, I am happy to be here. I did not realize it was BYOC
2: bring your own cat day.
0: Uh, <laughs> my uh, game, but, I didn't uh, either.
2: I do have one.
0: Oh, my Lord. <laughs> I
2: just Lord. got
3: lucky and I called him and he actually came over. So he wasn't busy. For oh, no he time, wasn't he busy. <laughs> stop Cats he, never come to the call. He, he
0: made time for you. Yes. yes okay. Did. Rick Eulens with us. Hello, Rick.
6: I do. I don't have a cat, but I do have a problem, so that's <laughs> yes. with the theme of the show.
0: And then last but certainly not least, from down under, the Thunder. He likes his Vegemite. He likes to say crikey. Good eye, Nicholas Morentes.
7: Good eye, everyone. I'm all here ready for another episode of Puke Talk.
0: Puke Talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, don't
2: this show guys... sure stinks. Oh. Don't you guys call Chunder?
0: chunder <laughs> yes and,
3: chunder from down under chunder, down under. The chunder from down
0: under and uh, mr james Diffendaffer says byov bring your own vomit yes so uh we've got uh, we've got the live audience out there mark bosley jim rye eight bits in the basement jim gary mikey james jones sixy mr james Differdaffer, amigos retro gaming kevin holloway and Dave and Sharon, Mr. Dave, Mr. James, Reverend Fuzzy. Wow, that is, uh, that's that's oh, Christopher wow. Mayhew. Hey, Reverend Fuzzy. No, um, I haven't
5: seen him in a
0: while. 32 years later, and I continue to invite you to learn your color computer. Absolutely. <laughs> Buck Owens is out there. Hey, Buck. And Paco Otakte is out there. That's David Land, one of his many personalities. And Canadian Retro Thing says, I made it back. Frederick D. Provencia is here. And Reverend Fuzzy, welcome. It's great to see you uh, as we get ready to celebrate almost uh, 200 um, episodes. Um, so there's a few things I want to remember. I have, um, I have what's known as a post-it note here. So I'm going to stick this over here on the screen to remind me to talk about a few things on the show today that we didn't get a chance to talk about last week. And um, we do have a couple of updates From what I understand there's only a few updates and acquisitions Maybe one or two So we'll just get those out of the way now We're going to try to do a speed run on this show today And not go four or five hours um, Curtis has somewhere, he's got to be at 5pm And I don't think we got a lot of news So I think we'll be able to knock this show out Knock it out of the park, sometimes less is more So why don't we go ahead and jump into um, One of everyone's favorite segments On this show I mean basically the entire show is, is everyone's favorite segment But this is what Except we call This is what we call updates and acquisitions and uh, we're going to start off with Ron Delvo, everybody's favorite Arizonian. Ron Delvo has something he wants to share with us. Ron, we are delighted to have you. We cannot wait to hear what you're going to share with us today. Oh, I'll bet. <laughs> Ice fever. And it better not be okay. one of your damn Facebook groups. No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I remember that guy. He was I I went. To, he was at my Yesterday high
7: school. Yesterday was yeah, uh, happy birthday, you? President Lincoln. Uh, and I was able to uh, put together a couple of screens. Nice,
0: nice. Oh, that one it, looks really good there, huh?
7: Yeah, and that one is the low res one on VCC. Nice. It's uh, 128 by 96. Believe it or not. Wow. Anyway. Uh, If you go to Ron's Garage, you'll see all these neat things. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. I um, posted the files for these if you want to put it on your cocoa and yeah, don't don't, you, bother, don't
0: bother getting a flower or card for your wife. Just give her a, a DSK file with a Valentine's Day <laughs> image on it. That'll That's really, right. <laughs> Ray, honey. that Honey, I that'll got that'll this way. Really <laughs> no, no, we'll bring, yeah. no. <laughs> bring the brownie points. Bring the chocolate chocolate syrup, <laughs> <laughs> honey. I got you this virtual Valentine's gift on a virtual floppy. I that got runs you a the, floppy disk. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
7: this, this is uh, President um, Washington. Washington, yeah, his George. birthday is on the twenty second. Hey, President Washington. And then we have uh, today, there was beautiful skies in uh, Arizona. Oh, wow, that
0: is. Absolutely. Charming. Almost looks like the Lion King, you know, the sun rising up over the freaking plains of Africa there for a second. I don't see any snow, though. And what's, what's I got wrong?
2: this at the garage yeah.
7: sale. Oh, the Cray it's computer. Cr- yeah, it uh, fits in my journey. I had to do 12 trips to get it home.
0: Oh, got you got the to- actual Cray computer, not just yeah, the they, uh, flyer. Yeah, didn't
7: know what they had
0: ah okay and uh, i have
7: to get some electrical upgrades at home as a, <laughs> Right, a, a real-time clock real-time clock. You're close to
3: hoover dam 12 serial
7: ports <laughs> and they threw in see. an
0: optional hdmi port excellent well now does it have a sound chip
7: uh it, uh the manual is 12 volumes
3: <laughs> so, <laughs> so if, it's, if it's if it's cray dash two does that mean it's cray cray
0: Cray-cray.
7: Yes. yes.
3: uh,
0: Crikey. Crikey.
7: All What else we have is uh, our color computer. um, Show us your color computer group. There's a lot of neat things in here. Yeah. Besides me. Mm -hmm. Um, People, uh, this is Rick Adams. Yeah. He had kids over. Yeah. And um, the new year, new computer. But if you go through here and... um, pick let's see what i usually like to do when i go to a website is like if you if they have our picture intensive you go to the top and pick um media and load all yes look at them (laughs) look at them yeah lots of pictures
5: look at them i even think i have posted one or two pictures up there at some point
7: it's really cool. There's lots and lots of cocoa goodness. There, there is. Look is in us.
5: fact, I see my pictures right now. <laughs> the cocoa cool. table.
7: Yeah. yeah. So that's it for me. I just wanted to show one group. Maybe next week i show another group. Okay. And
2: yeah, that's about it. Of course, I like sure. the cat and the cocoa.
7: Excellent. Well, I don't have a puking dog or cat here today. I'm sorry.
0: Oh, what a shame. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right now jason the coco man record where did you go you are here let me spotlight you
3: i am i am last i'm, I'm wherever you left me last time okay okay what i what i have here is uh, it's kind of coco related it will be coco related. i picked up a new old stock ibm pc junior joystick um off of, uh, ebay and i'll just go ahead and crack it open here real quick and uh, of course those were we got all the all the goodness in here and uh but it's another a uh looks craft. like the uh, deluxe joystick craft joystick of course it has the the uh the uh pc junior in there that uh whatever that whatever that is there but uh but uh the the project is to uh to uh convert this for uh For use on the uh, on the cocoa, if I don't Don't. break it while I'm while I'm showing it (laughs) off.
1: (laughs) So how is it? There's so many of those things available on eBay that's never been opened.
3: I I have to wonder. It was it was still it was still sealed in the cellophane when I got it. Uh, The shipping box was a little too small. There was nothing in between the outside of the the IBM PC Junior box and. The shipping box so that was a but i mean it was it was okay and i did have a little dent in the box but i wasn't worried about the box if i was someone who was worried about the box, i might be upset about that but i I thought they could have used a a larger box and to uh, in fact
6: so many of these hit the market that i wrote that article in one two three about converting it Uh, oh fall of last year or something because just a million of these showed up from nowhere all brand new all sealed
4: yeah, and right. was it AC's 8 zone? I think also did a video on converting it, too. So, yeah, there's a couple Because all
6: of a sudden, there. there were millions of them. They were on eBay. They were on Amazon. They were floating in the streets. Yeah, it was just...
3: <laughs> well, I, I even found one here about a year ago. So, that was a craft-branded one that already was wired for the cocoa that someone was offering on the mailing list or on Facebook. Yeah, I have one of
4: those. Okay. But Buck Owens so. in chat says he picked up a bunch of these for 7 bucks each and a PC Junior mainboard for 16 bucks, all new in box. Wow. Wow
5: well awesome. in my I I elementary this school was about 20 bucks uh
3: mm-hmm. this was about 20 bucks
5: uh shipped Cool. we had pc juniors in my elementary school but i don't think we had any joysticks that i can remember i think we played uh, uh king's quest on the pc junior on keyboard
2: <laughs> Do we have a question I jason yeah, i
5: see ken
3: ken ken make it's asking are you going to permanently convert it or make an adapter even well it's going to have to be a permanent conversion because I do believe this one's wired similar to a PC joystick where it's uh, wired as a potentiometer instead of a variable resistor. So there's, there's de- simplified, there's, yeah, there's, there's different, it's wired. It's got this, I believe it has the same parts but they are wired differently. It's not, I wish it was just a matter of just making an adapter but unfortunately oh. it's internally wired differently.
7: So it has but the potential.
3: Right. Oh, the so, potential. Not a, yeah. so
2: not all of those joysticks are direct replacements then
3: there's you have to go in and uh you know where the wires you know the the connect yeah i wish i could just change the connector it's not a direct replacement you actually have to go in and and rewire how they're because there's two potentiometers in there for your x and your y and how they're wired up in a ibm joystick compared to a coco joystick is is different
4: is it a lot different because you've done this in your article yeah
6: it's well so the way the coco is wired the correct way your adjustable resistor has five volts on one end Ground on the other end, and you pick a voltage off of the middle, and that's a very tolerant system. What IBM did is they put a voltage on one end, and they picked a resistance out of it, and so the comparison's done inside the computer, not inside the joystick, which creates a, some inaccuracies, and and so no one really—I don't know why they did it that way, but they did. Um, luckily they also did some weird things with the other signals where you have enough wires in the cable that you don't have to use a new cable. You can just stick a cocoa wind on the end of it. And there's enough spare wires to, to do your missing ground. And so, yeah, it's, it, all the right parts are there. They just aren't hooked up. In fact, one side of the yep. variable resistors isn't hooked to anything. It's just kind of floating there. Right. <laughs>
3: Cool. I think it was pretty simple. That's it. That's all I got. Simple. All right.
0: All right. All right. Well, there's a couple things I wanted to um, cover that we didn't get a chance to cover last week that we're going to try to cover right now, and then we'll get into Game On in a minute, and I want to remind people on a few other things, too, for episode 200 for next week. So, let's do the easy one, and of course, I didn't get a chance to... um, I didn't get a chance to cue this up because um, I didn't remember about it in time. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to play for you guys the file right now. And this is what we're calling the chant, the cocoa chant, right? So um, D. Bruce Moore is going to record uh, another song for us. And it's for the I'm a Coconut, right? Because we're try- I'm going to try to be relaunching the I'm a Coconut website in the near future. That's going to be a lot more user-friendly, more user-accessible. This is where you can go and get links to find out what's going on in the Cocoa community. My goal is to make this kind of self-serving where if you have your own website or blog or you know of a website or blog or YouTube channel or something that would be of interest to people in the Cocoa community, you should be able to just upload that information and then I should be able to just make it visible without having to manually modify the pages every time I want to add a link. So that's going to be the goal. Um, so it's going to look nicer and hopefully be easier for people to submit content to that website. And since we're kind of relaunching Cocoa Talk on the I'm a Coconut YouTube channel 2, I asked, I put out a call for a theme song, D Bruce Moore answered that call right away, and so he's working on a theme song, and part of that theme song is going to give people the opportunity to chant in the song, and literally be a part of that song, and literally lend your voice to this, and so I've posted this in Discord a couple of times now, for those who are in Discord, and I've shared it out on Facebook, so I'm going to just play it right now where you can hear what this sounds like and then all you have to do is say, I am a Nut today, right? And so he created a little thing where it kind of counts down the beat, and then you record your voice saying it, and then you email that to DeBruce, and then he would take it from there. So here's the clip, if you haven't heard it, that we want people to download and record their own version of this. So check it out. Okay, did you hear that part? I am a coconut today, right? So download that file and uh, and grab it and then record yourself saying, I am a coconut today and email that to um, DeBruce. And then he's going to take all those voices, he's going to work his magic, and he's going to mix and master and produce and put all that good stuff into the song. So... Um I'm not sure what the deadline was for mine. Yeah. So get if you this is your last this is the last call and this is the last chance to do that so kindly if you would like to be part of the next Coco theme song by legendary Coco musician and producer DeBruce Moore then send in your chant. You don't have to be a singer. You can just say, "I am a." You can say it like a robot. You can actually. You can, we could probably get the speech sound pack to do this for this point, right? I uh-huh. am a go no, go can, not... today.
6: Yes, love yes, Ron,
0: Ron Delvo. You, you said something interesting. You said you
7: didn't have to be a singer. So why didn't why didn't you have Gimes do it?
6: <laughs> oh! oh,
7: Shots fired, Shots fired by
0: Rondelvo. <laughs> why not? All you right.
7: Can sing. S- and then come s- up with something real, you know.
0: Right. Okay. And speaking of call to action, and this is, um, I I put out a call for people to send me a clip of them, of their favorite memories. Of uh, So next week celebrates uh, Cocoa Talk episode 200. We want, kind of want to do a uh, memory lane kind of video montage. And I asked people to record something, just giving me some highlights and some favorite memories of your Cocoa times and so far I've gotten one. Alan Murphy is the only one who sent one. So if you have not sent one and I do not get one from you in about 24 hours, then you are not going to be part of that celebration. But this is a crowdsourcing call to give me content to share positive things. The world needs happiness right now. There is so much unhappiness in the world. I am trying to ask people to think of happy, happy, joy, joy moments and if you want to record some of those, you don't have to be a professional producer. You can use your phone. You can use your webcam. Hey, you know what? It doesn't have to be about memories from Coco Talk. But just what have been some fond Cocoa memories you've had over the past few years or it could have been from 40 years ago. But if you'd like to be part of that compilation, get me that video ASAP or not. So that is that request. And then uh, another segment that we t- talked about, great idea poor execution and uh, this was the Coco Art Gallery so this was kind of Alan Murphy's suggestion saying, you know, Rainbow Magazine used to have stuff where people would send in a picture of them doing something on the Cocoa and yes, Rondo DelVoe's got a Facebook group for this, right? The Coco Art Gallery but um, we asked people to post pictures in Discord and we would show them on the show and to my knowledge, I don't think we've really done a very good job of doing that and nobody's really helped me remember either. So what I thought I'd do real quick is just open up the um, Coco Discord server. We've got a channel called Coco Art Gallery, and this goes back to June of 2020. So, it's, yeah, we'll get we'll get right on that, right? So um, one of the first pictures sent to us was by Davey Mitchell, and this was uh, an RPG he was working on. So this is kind of a cool little picture done in semi-graphics modes. Uh, and then we got one from Danny O'Connor working on a... Uh, Coco related album cover, so that was kind of cool. Lots of good content in here. Um, and then Alan Murphy was now, Alan, was this stuff related to the um your game you're working on now? the Nostromo?
6: Yeah,
3: yep. yeah, that's, uh, the idea of taking the box art and trying to make it as a uh, splash screen.
0: okay, that's pretty cool, right? And um, <laughs> Nick Burode, I call it Voice of Fire okay uh that's that was
2: that was a real painting that someone sold in canada to the art gallery for some ridiculous amount of money and that is what it looked like (laughs) it was a red stripe on blue
0: and listen art is in (laughs) it was called
2: voice of fire
0: okay at
7: the colombian flag or
0: something could be i don't know (laughs) <laughs> Another one sent to us by Davey Mitchell. This was from a Dragon type in where it started to do these kind of 3D landscape type things, which looks pretty cool. The kind of vector art on that. Look at this, Rondevo Coco VGA with his American flag. Look at that. And you, if you click on these, you can do like what she said and make them bigger. And um, you, so here's a nice full size picture of that. So when you look at it in Discord, it's a little bit small, but you can. That's on a Coco one. Yeah, that's what Coco VGA.
7: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So that's looking good there. And uh, so this just goes on and on. So what we need to do from time to time is to actually feature this. Here's Ron Delvo doing some actual Cocoa art on an yep. actual Cocoa, right? And uh, we can kind of pan around here, pan and zoom. Wow, look at the nice scan lines on that monitor. That's looking really good. But yeah, this looks good, Ron. You, you
3: Check might- Check out that divining.
0: Yes, you might, have a, you might have a future in artwork, Ron. You don't, might, might, right. want, might want to pursue that.
7: I, I do the best I
0: can. <laughs> so, yeah, some of this is going way back. We'll, we'll have to formalize this segment. But just to give you an idea, we did ask for this. Erico, Erico is doing a lot of really cool stuff, right? So this is some stuff he was doing, for I think, for a graphics adventure. Here are some of his semi-graphics renderings of some famous arcade games that he's done. Um, lots of cool stuff. Uh I call it Sunset Reset from Jim Rye. This goes back to July of 2020. That's a nice-looking graphics there. Looking good. Uh, more from Davey Mitchell. My entry for a competition at church this week. In the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Oh, nice. And look at that. It's really cool what you can do in graphics. So we got a lot of stuff. Tasman sent us a nice American flag with source code. Um and then uh, you name it there's this was Erico starting to show some of the 3D breakout photos of the Coco 2 and Coco 3 the 3D renderings we all got excited about that so lots of nice now we're getting closer to the holidays a little bit of a black sanctum feeling here Erico is saying that looks actually really nice right so lots of good stuff in the Coco art gallery so i just wanted to try to remember to actually show some of that stuff off from time to time so um, that, there is that. Just a reminder to me and to everyone else that we should be featuring more of the Coco Art Gallery as time goes on. So that was on my to-do list to talk about. Okay. Cocoa Art Gallery talked about. D. Bruce Moore talked about. Check, check, check. Okay. Uh, good. Now, we're all caught up. Nick Moroda, are you ready for one of your favorite parts of the show?
2: Oh, I am.
0: Okay. So we are going to get into the high score. Challenge game on challenge results, you name it. We're going to cover it. And as always, well, not as always, but luckily, often we have an opening appetizer for this segment with a current Coco thoughts from the deep thinker and song parader, Mr. Samuel Gimes. So let's see what Mr. Gimes has been thinking about and cooking up this week.
1: And now, well, Coco. By Samuel Gimes. Cover me as I jump. (laughs) Cover me. You can see where this is going. The fire. Something stole my girl, Pauline, and now it's running free. Hold on darling please donkey donkey (laughs) donkey don't you know I'm gonna catch the donkey Kong Kong (laughs) Fox ain't Fox not a big rat it's a naughty ape I know about that there is one thing I'm always sure of. I will keep climbing more, darling. Don't you monkey with the donkey? Come, come, is... donkey, donkey, donkey. Don't you know I'm gonna catch the donkey? Come, come, catch the donkey. Come, come, come.
4: <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> another,
0: <laughs> another
4: classic. Kong,
0: Kong, 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 Kong.
4: That is so twisted. I we, like James Jones' comment. He said, somewhere Peter Gabriel feels a disturbance in
0: the force. <laughs> 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 Oh, wow. Hey,
4: Stevie, can I share my screen?
0: Uh, well, we haven't done the results yet.
2: Oh, that's hello, are you right. right. That's right. I no wonder. Hello, Eager You're Beaver.
0: Right. Yes, this was the
2: show all about me. Yes, this is
0: this story. is our reaction moment here. This is where we get a moment to react to the song. Yes, let it be re-
2: brain fart. Yes, fart yes, yes I yes. oh, <laughs> uh, I know Curtis has I'm to go asleep. five, so I'm trying to keep it tight. No, That's I'm, right. All I'm right,
0: so. Uh, uh Rondelvo, our resident Shoot music critic. The <laughs> Shoot the dog. <donkey. laughs> oh. All right. Well, so know, it was, and it was poor. We have an Aaron sighting. So we have Amigo Aaron from Amigo's. Hello, welcome, Aaron. What's up? All right, we'll get we'll get to you and your and your thoughts on playing Donkey Kong this week here in just a minute. So here Aaron, we go. Aaron,
7: do you do you sing, Aaron?
8: Not well. That's right.
0: Okay. Okay, well maybe maybe you
7: can do a um
0: All right, we're moving on.
1: High score challenge.
2: All right, and welcome to another week of results. This week we played Donkey Kong with twenty-three scores submitted. Digital Bytes three thousand nine hundred. Mark B four thousand four hundred. C. Duris 5,100 Coco Discord User, 13,400 Joshua Craker, 13,500 Cat Lord, 14,000 Boat of Car, 14,500 8 Bits in the Basement, 15,300 Rob Inman, 16,500 Just Mike, 16,900 Buck Owen, 17,200 Canadian Retro Thing 17,500. Mr. Dave 20,900. Sloopy Malibu 22,100. Paul Shoemaker 29,200. L. Curtis Boyle 30,700. David Craker 33,300. Louis 41,700. Me 43,000 even. Tom C. 51,500. Tasman 59,400, Jim Rice, 67,400, and the number one score this week belongs to the Devil Bunny Aaron Amigos Retro Gaming 77,800, great score!
9: Thank you to all this week's participants. Another great week of gaming.
8: something else you use well we only use zoom and obs when i'm doing something with a big gang <clears throat> we only use zoom and OBS. now we're something. hearing now i'm hearing audio
0: on the youtube
8: feed
10: yeah, yeah. i just had to restart the uh, obs for some reason
0: it, it has difficulty with uh, the default device on windows Woo. yay all so, right should we so we're back sh- yeah should we do the high score challenge over again might Would as well guys- yeah. Yeah. yeah sure
3: we working out
1: Welcome
2: High Score Challenge Alright, Nick Verona Alright, welcome stream. to another week of results This week we played Donkey Kong with Okay, here we go, Game on results, this, Digital Bytes, 3,900 Mark B, 4,400 C. Duras, 5,100 Coco Discord User, 13,400 Joshua kraker 13,500 Cat Lord 14,000. Boat of Car 14,500. 8 Bits in the Basement 15,300. Rob Inman 16,500. Just Mike 16,900. Buck Owen 17,200. Canadian Retro Thing 17,500. Mr. Dave 20,900. Sloopy Malibu 22,100. Paul Shoemaker, 29,200. L. Curtis Boyle, 30,700. David Craker, 33,300. Louis, 41,700. Me, 43,000 even. Tom C., 51,500. Tasman, 59,400. Jim Rye, 67,400. And the number one score this week belongs to the Devil Bunny, Aaron, Amigos Retro Gaming. 77,800. Great score. Thank you to all this week's participants. Another great week of gaming. Okay. All right. So, again, congratulations to Aaron. We'll talk to you in a minute about, uh, about your playing. Uh, in the meantime, I'm going to... Start the video, I think. Yes, this is a video (laughs) sent to us. This is uh, my turn for problems. This video, again, was sent to us by uh, Canadian Retro Things. So thank you very much, uh, CRT Ken, for sending this. And uh, yeah, so we have Aaron from Amigos Retro Gaming, who is the number one player this week. Uh, Welcome, Aaron.
8: Hey, thanks for having me.
2: Well, I understand you posted in Discord that uh, this is your game, so uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, talk to us about uh, your history with Donkey Kong and why it's why it's your game?
8: Sure, man. So, you know, when this game came out in the arcade, because I'm this old, I was around, and I was like, "Holy crap! Look at the this looks awesome!" You know, it was different than i would ever seen, and so I really got into it, and I played the whole run of the Donkey Kongs. And when I got older and I cobbled together enough cash, I went out and bought myself an arcade cabinet for Donkey Kong. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and then I lost all that cash and I had to sell the cabinet. But I cobbled together more cash and bought another one. So I've, I own one. I've got it out in my arcade. And so I played a lot of Donkey Kong. And I remember it's before I got back to the Coco where they, where I saw a uh, report come up and they were talking about the Coco uh, the, <laughs> the, amazingly getting this on it. I couldn't believe it. At the time, I didn't have a Cocoa to even try it on, Uh, but man, this is one of the first games I loaded up when I finally got my Cocoa and added all the extra stuff to it. And it's a a monument to the genius of the fella that put this together. Uh, Yeah, uh,
2: I just wanna make sure people are aware, uh, for those of you who aren't aware, this game is actually running the genuine, the arcade ROM. So this is the arcade version of Donkey Kong. So when Aaron talks about having the arcade version, this is a transcode. They basically took uh, the code and made it so that it would run on a 6809. So, uh, so continue on, Aaron. Well, I mean, I'll just throw in one other little yeah. bit
4: of trivia here. The the author is actually John Kowalski, the Sock Master. He's done a ton of incredible Coco 3 demos and other things too. And he's the one who did the first successful transcode of an arcade game to the Coco. Now we've got several out there, including Pac Man and Space Invaders and others. Anyway, go yes. ahead, Aaron.
8: I don't know how many others, I mean, listen, I don't know if this transcoding gimmick is something you see on a bunch of other machines. It's not like I'd, It's not something I've seen a lot of, uh, but for the Cocoa to run this, I couldn't believe it. So, uh, like I said, I own Donkey Kong. I'm pretty familiar with it, having played it over the years. And uh, the Cocoa uh, transcode of it is, I mean, it's dead on, man. It plays just like if I walked out to my machine. And so at that point, you get, uh, which is great. I, I don't have an RGB monitor, so I just, I just uh, flip the colors over and, and play and it. Looks, it still looks good. And th- so at that point, you get to the area that the weak spot of this, is just, which is what your controller is. The Black Beauties aren't what I would call, uh, they, weren't, they aren't conducive to get a high score on this one. I, I went a couple rounds uh, trying to play this with those, and it didn't have very good luck. Uh, and but it's basically because the uh, climbing the ladders, uh, you have to be very quick. And the, and the Black Beauty is not self centering, It makes it difficult. It's a lot easier with, a, with an Atari stick or the Deluxe. So I recommend that. That's, that will improve your games right out of the gate if you've got access to one of those. Uh, and then in terms of you know, getting better at this game, listen, a lot of people point press. Donkey Kong is notorious for being a game you can point press in. All the, all the great players that play for points do it where they uh you could there are tricks you could do to just score a lot of extra points this i never do that i never have because that's not the way i grew up playing it. i just play and just try to get as far as i can uh without without dying i mean that's uh that's everyone that knows me that's the way i always play i i I mean i can point press but it's not fun i just want to see how far i can get so that's sort of my philosophy on this game um this is a game you just have to practice a lot of people think it's super hard and i mean i guess it's sort of it's pretty hard i guess if you're not used to it but if you've played it enough times uh just like playing like i was watching frodo play uh, manic minor earlier on his stream it's very similar you just learn the timings uh, uh and uh learn what to do and what not to do uh but when it comes to uh the various levels i mean i i I don't use any patterns, uh, so I'm probably not the best person to give a talk on how to get better. At this, <laughs> now that I think about <laughs> it, it's just a matter oh, of no. it's just a matter of uh, timing things and watching things and a little bit of luck that hurt. Uh, really, the, the biggest timing issues you're going to have in this are on uh, the level we're looking at now, the uh, the elevators oh, yes. because of that uh, the jackhammer thing that keeps that pops down. Uh, on the first couple levels, it's not that difficult. But when as you go up, it that it becomes a real. I mean, all the pros. That's the thing that really gives them trouble because it's it's not a set pattern, and you have to you have to see how it's coming out to see where you're going to stand. Then you have to you sort of have to run past the, the ladder that you're going to go up to get up yeah. to the to get up to the uh, girl because otherwise it'll hit you, and you have to sort of run with it. It's a real strange maneuver uh, in gaming, uh, and but it's I mean you have that's something you have to memorize. If you've ever seen King of Kong's, uh, the great, you know, docu drama or whatever you want to call it, yeah, uh, Steve Wiebe actually w- had a magic marker. He would draw the patterns of the of the jackhammer on his screen. I remember seeing that, and I thought to myself, that's a that'd be a good idea if I, I'd, you know, was okay with drawing on my an arcade machine, <laughs> you know, that he had actually physically drawn the patterns on his. So you could tell the pros they they put a lot of time in that. Uh, the rest of the levels, you know, there are ways to manipulate which uh, ladders and the directions that the barrels go in. I, I really uh, that's something else I just don't do. But if you if, if you know how to do it, you can sort of manipulate which way they're going. And and uh, that helps a lot. I just do it all on instinct and timing. I mean, for the most part, uh, there are uh, do's and don't do's. And you've got to know what how many barrels you can jump over and how many you can't. And, and you know, the positions of them. Really, the on, on this level, the difficulty comes for me is when Donkey Kong just randomly throws crap straight down or off to the side. That could be a binder. real problem, yeah. Uh, and and he'll he'll just occasionally just wind one up and and toss it. Uh, but uh, for the most part, the rest of it, if you can get if you can get up to that that the top level right there, then you're pretty much golden. Uh, you just got to, you could go and stand under the lip there and just keep jumping until there's an opening and go. But it's all about timing. Most of the times I get killed in this is just because I screw up. You know, I screwed up the timing. It's, it's not like uh, this game throws a lot of curveballs at you. Uh, the the second level where you're going over the the uh, the little uh, what the little stoppers that clo- that open up the girders. Uh, the uh, it's I, I don't have a pattern on that either. I just I just basically go around. I usually try to get the lower ones first. Most people go after the lower ones and then try to get the last say four uh, at this you know towards the end uh i i do that when i can but sometimes uh, if the fireballs don't let me get up there i just basically make it up i don't normally use the hammers on any on any level but the but the second level uh, uh the the hammer that's in the middle on the second level you know the bottom the, the level below donkey kong i use those to clear it out a little bit to make it easier to go up and take out those top top rivets uh the uh, the, the cement factory the pie factory level it's not it's not super tough if you get a good jump on it and uh, you just have to watch where the fireballs come out of the barrel and go the other way. That's pretty much my philosophy on that one. The Japanese uh, version of this game, you have to get all the way to the top to rescue the girl on that level, but in the American oh. version, all you have to do is just get to the same level Donkey Kong's on, so it's a little bit easier in the in American version of it.
2: I didn't realize uh, that was the difference between the two versions. Yeah,
8: yeah. That, there, in fact, the levels are laid out totally different in Japan. In Japan, this level is the last level. Uh, so you'll you'll come to this one last, which makes sense because this is where you kill Donkey Kong. It's one thing I couldn't figure out in the arcade. It's like why they put this second, you know. But they did. I don't know why. I don't know why they changed it like that. But um, well, it was a real thrill
2: to get to the cement level then on, on that one because it, it took a lot to to get there.
8: Yeah,
5: you yeah. You had to
2: go through three levels, uh, three levels of uh, barrels and rivets and, ele- and two elevators.
8: If, so if how far?
2: Go- do you remember how far you got when you got your score?
8: I think I got to the. I was on the. I want to say the fourth. I got killed on the elevator screen by by a jackhammer, and I want to say it was my fourth go around on that, but I I, I may be off by one. I may it may be my fifth. I can't so remember. You went, so
2: you went through the cement. You went through the pie level.
8: Oh yeah, yeah. It's funny yeah, people yeah, either times. call it
2: coconut cream pies or cement.
8: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, the, the Nintendo released a game and watch game. I think it was called Mario's Cement Factory. I mean, sort of similar to that. And so I, I just, I, I've always called it the Smith factory. I've, I've heard pie factory I've heard, Yeah. You know, both ways. I, you know, I wanted to give a, uh, before I shut up, I want to give a shout out to the, those the there's a, there's a, uh, someone went out, I don't know if it's the same guy that made like this for the cocoa with a bunch of crazy other levels on it. Uh, I don't know what that's even called.
2: With uh, but, the spooky remix and stuff. Uh, oh, I don't know. When,
8: there, what's just, the one oh, on the oh, cocoa? There's three or four of them. He's
4: got his Christmas spooky themed remix? one. He's got a Halloween theme one. he's got Donkey Kong remix. Yeah, the and remix is arcade, arcade it's ports dead. and
8: The Coco has a Donkey Kong remix yeah, as well. The remix is great. Those are great. I've got a uh, I've got a board of my arcade machine. It's a it's a special board it you take and plug it into your Donkey Kong board, and it gives you Donkey Kong uh, and Donkey Kong 2, which was an un- unreleased, like fan made Donkey Kong, it's like double hard. And remix reminds me a lot of that. It's just super duper tough and fun and different. Uh, and so I recommend that one uh, as well. Uh, if you played this back in the day, oh, look at the flames! Yeah. A lot of the cocoa for ver- a lot of the versions just didn't have all the boards, you know? Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons I, that the, the cocoa version uh, of the King was so awesome. Cause it had, you know, you got all those extra boards I I know boat hates it, but I love that game. It's a lot slower than this one, but it's super fun. Uh, but, th- but having this and there, it's like the cocoa has, it has the monopoly on the donkey Kong uh, ports. So, uh, good for it. But yeah, I had a lot of fun playing this and I, I'll, you know, play it and just get better and practice and you'll do fine. That's my advice to anybody. I want to ask
2: Canadian Retro Things if he's still in the chat. Did you know that you could trap the fireballs and over like that? Because I've never seen that before. That's really cool. So if you're in chat, please uh, let me know if you knew about that and were uh, being a really uh, elite player. But a lot anyway. of people
8: will trap those fireballs on one side of the, of the grid there on that level. and then That's what I do. Point, They go up in point press for the rest of the the time runs out. That's the level you can really score a lot of points on.
2: Because the fireballs will always appear on the side facing Pauline's back. So, yeah, if you get those four and then get the hammer and smash them and make sure Pauline's facing to the right, the fireballs will appear on the other side of the the holes. So, yeah. So, um, one thing I did notice, and I don't know, I I thought it was a difference between the American and Japanese versions, but I'm not sure now. But on this version you could climb the ladder and the barrels would not roll down on you um so you could you could uh wait for the barrels you could you could wait on the ladders and the barrels would just roll over you um but i know some version of the Kong, you can't do that if you go on the ladder the barrels will always roll down on you so the version of the rom that this used you could actually hide on the ladder that might and- be
4: the easy setting too i'm not sure I don't
2: know. I thought it was a difference between American and Japanese, but like Aaron said, I do know the Japanese version.
8: They'll roll that on you in the American version. When barrels,
2: pies, elevator, rivets. So I'm not sure what the difference between, where the difference between the ROMs was. But if you look on the disc image of uh, Donkey Kong Remix, you'll see it has the Donkey Kong ROM file, so I don't know what version it includes. So um I don't know if you could swap that out, I wonder. Anyway. I
3: think in the I think on the remix version you can actually choose whether you want the US or the Japanese uh order level also.
2: Yes. And also remix A or remix B. I thought about doing a remix, but I won but uh I thought we would do the, the uh the normal version for this go round anyway. So uh Yeah, I don't see an answer from Canadian Retro Things. So uh, he it, uh, uh... uh, Canadian oh, Retro Things. Oh, pure thing, chance. Yeah. It was pure. Sorry, yeah, sorry, Jason. Yeah, it was pure chance.
3: Okay, you found it. Good.
2: Sorry about that, Jason. I didn't mean to. No worries. Me. Yeah. Welcome to Donkey Kong Talk. Donkey <laughs> Kong rocks. Talk. Uh, Yes, Donkey Kong Remix was also Sock Master. Yeah, that was Sock
3: Master. How dare we talk about the game of the week on the Game On segment, really?
2: Someone calls it the custard pie level. So there we go. I guess maybe it's a regional thing.
4: Yeah, no, Sock actually sells those upgrade boards for the Spooky Remix, the Christmas Remix, et cetera, to arcade cabinet owners.
8: You can actually purchase those from him. Did he make those? Yes. I I do love those. They're really good. You know, I believe
2: we, he did a Donkey Kong Jr. remix as well. Yeah, he did. Uh, but that one is not, not on available for the Coco. No, that, I'd love you, for that to be available on the Coco.
8: Has did anyone tried swapping out the? I mean, t- can you play the Donkey Kong Jr. ROMs on this thing? Has Has anybody ever done that or attempted it? Or, I mean, is it, because I mean they're pretty similar. That's why the boards are very similar. I think it's like a might even be a chip swap.
2: I wondered. That. I know the file names would be different. So I wonder if you had if you changed the file names or whatever. But. I don't know.
4: I can't remember if John ever mentioned because people had asked him about doing Donkey Kong Jr. and I think he said he wasn't going to do it. And I can't remember the reasoning was he just didn't feel like you know having the time to do it or if there was some technical issue.
2: I could have sworn there was a Donkey Kong Jr. remix for the arcade anyway. But I don't know who did it then if it wasn't Sockmaster.
4: No, he did one he did one for the arcade, but on the Cocoa, people had asked him why why oh. didn't you do a Donkey Kong Jr. for the Coco port.
2: Oh, that'd be great. I wish you would.
4: But uh, he said there is some some reason, I can't remember what it was.
2: Huh. So yeah, this was one of the this is definitely one of the top arcade games from back in the day. The short list of great games is Pac-Man Donkey Kong. So uh, uh Sockmaster was uh working on a Cocoa one and two version of this too.
4: Yeah, a much closer really. arcade port than even Donkey King is.
2: Yeah, and it would use the artifact <laughs> colors which uh suit this game because it's got
0: the red and blues.
2: Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Yeah, too bad boat's not here to talk about uh, his hatred of Donkey King, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, one day I'll forgive him for that, but the day has not <laughs> arrived yet. It's pretty close
3: though. Yeah. give give, give <laughs> him a f- give give him a few more years to get over it, right?
2: Maybe by episode a thousand, maybe yeah. that'll be the <laughs> gift. Okay, well, I uh, anybody else have anything you want to share about their Donkey Kong memories or, or playing this game this week or
4: i just remember the game being hard in the arcade i liked the game i did play it a fair bit but it was just a quarter sucker for me i never did very very good i could very rarely make the pie factory i can make the elevators pretty well every time but that was that was about the extent. Yeah. And I, when i played it this time around it was the exact same experience
2: does donkey the, king uh, have a kill screen or Donkey kong have a kill screen yes it does yes. apparently that's in the, if you look at the uh, if you watch the documentary, they'd be like, We've got a kill screen coming, we got a kill screen coming. Everybody's all excited. <laughs> I think it's the same reason as Pac Man, it's just get the level it over, it's an overflow,
4: yeah. You overflow the,
2: uh, the level. So, I, I do uh, want
4: to thank Aaron for taking up the challenge. I mean, we did trash talk him a little bit last week just to kind of spur him on, and it worked. He, he went in and kicked out. You
8: trash talk <laughs> me, Curtis? I can't believe it, man. <laughs> yeah, he's been a bad in- influence on you, man. <laughs> you
2: should submit your score anyway. We're not, we don't, uh, it's not about the score. It's about fun, but, uh, but we did think it'd be fun to have you on today to talk about you, 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 uh, dominated this week. So Thank you I, will give a, I will give a shout out. This was a perfect game for Neil Blanchard's gamester joystick. I, I felt like I was back in the arcade. The only thing was missing was I, I, I almost burned a, uh, burned a cigarette hole in the, uh, in the, uh, in the, uh, Cabinet, the case to mimic you know about what it was like back in the 80s, but uh, <laughs> I decided not to. <laughs> but no, the joystick, the games for joystick was was great with this game. Uh, and then I also played with a game pad, which was also good. I, I didn't even try the Black Beauty because, like Aaron said, it wouldn't, yeah, be okay. you need self
4: centering. A quick question for Nick and, and Aaron both here is is this the first game out of all the challenges that had the first year of challenges that we've had that Aaron's actually got first place?
8: Oh, oh I God, think it yeah
4: was it i can not remember <laughs> no. if you
8: did one more no 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 i haven't, I haven't had much luck uh with uh, uh, some of the games that we played but uh I, this was sort of in my wheelhouse uh i thought i'd do better at demon attack last week but man i, I gotta give other people credit that game's really tough and i just couldn't get it done
2: yeah well congratulations it was a really good score we had a lot of good scores i thought you know we had a lot of in the 30s 40s 50 thousands and then Aaron was the 70,000 was it? I think it was
8: 677, like I think.
2: Yeah, but who's, who's counting right? <laughs> <laughs>
4: Unless it's yeah. your score, then it then it counts.
2: <laughs> That's right. All right. So uh, are we ready to move on to talk about next week's game then? Yes. All right, so next week's game is a request and it is a very, very obscure game. It's one I never heard of. So I don't know. Uh, it's one that's not even on your page, Curtis. Well, that's so, just
4: because I'm so far behind. There's about 600 in the queue on my page. So, so Mr. Not Sparty all.
2: Pants Curse, do you know what this game is?
4: Uh, no, I don't.
2: So this request came was from Sloopy Malibu, and the game is called Turtle Attack.
4: Oh, I have. Okay, sorry. I lied. I have heard of this one. So I basically not played in years though.
2: It's a, a simple premise. You control this tank and you need to shoot the turtles. You can't run into them. And turtles lay eggs, which you can and should run over, because if you don't, they will hatch and spawn another turtle. And so basically the object of the game is to shoot all the turtles and advance. Um,
4: if I remember correctly, this was one of those tape magazine like Chromoset or T D software that published this one, right?
2: I'm not sure. It I is, think I've done
4: some some research on this one. I just didn't have enough to put up a web page entry for it, yet.
2: So you, when you pick, when you start, just you can move the slider from easy to hard. So we're going to play an easy uh, because even easy I found was pretty uh, pretty challenging. So that's our game of the week.
3: Are you sure we and, can play this? Isn't turtles a uh, protected species?
1: <laughs>
3: it's okay because these are digital turtles, so it's pretend.
2: Ah, there we go. So that's our game of the week. And uh, thank you, uh, Stevie and uh, Mark. And thank you guys for taking part and for giving us another great week of uh, gameplay. And we'll see you next week.
4: Cool. And congratulations on your first year complete of uh, Game On.
2: Oh, thank you very much. And again, thank you to everybody who's taken part and made it a success. It's uh, It's been fantastic.
4: I just need to learn to play games better. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs>
2: Yeah, when you have uh, five spare minutes to to kill and uh, get a hundred thousand points. Oh, Donkey over. Kong!
4: I I spent about two hours trying to get a good score in that, and all, I could barely muster thirty thousand. So,
2: well, thirty thousand is still good.
3: Hmm.
4: My hats off to Aaron on that one. So, had like five minutes when he was making a hot
3: pocket, so he decided to go ahead and play. You know. <laughs> yeah.
4: well, While I was coding with my left hand. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, do we want to run a commercial and then get into game on news?
4: Yeah. Sure.
10: Hi, this is Eddie Zerbinski from beautiful Quebec City. Vous écoutez Coco Talk.
0: As you're enjoying Coco Talk, we also want to remind you about the Coco Discord server. This is a place where people come to connect, to ask questions, to provide answers, to share information, and to socialize. So when you're done, why don't you head on over to the Coco Discord server, and we'll continue the conversation there. The easy-to-remember link is discord.cocotalk.live. See you on Discord. Cocoa123 is the Glenside Color Computer Club community newsletter that's been in publication since 1985. While the Rainbow Magazine may be gone, it doesn't mean you still can't have a cool Cocoa periodical. Head on over to the Glenside Color Computer website at glensideccc.com and then click on the Documents link to view all the past issues of the Cocoa123 newsletter. Not only can you read all of the past and present issues, we'd also love to hear some submissions from you. So if you'd like to send an article, a column, uh, something to talk about, maybe even a program listing, send an email to glensideccc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. The Cocoa World Map is a cool community resource where you can view coconuts from around the world. Head on over to map.cocotalk.live and see where your fellow coconutians happen to be living on the planet Earth. If you would like to submit yourself to be on the Cocoa Map, send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. And we look forward to seeing you on the Cocoa Map. Hey guys, it's Stevie Stroh, and if you've been watching Coco Talk for a while, hopefully you understand that everyone is welcome to join this show. You don't need an impressive resume to get on, you just need to enjoy the Coco and be willing to talk about it. There is no wrong way to Cocoa. There is no wrong way to be a fan of the Cocoa. There's no wrong way to be on Cocoa Talk. You just have to want to talk Cocoa. So if you would like to join us, then reach out to us on our Discord server, which is discord.cocotalk.live or send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live and let's get you on the show and let's talk about the Cocoa.
10: Hi, I'm Tim and you're watching Coco Talk Live. And I'm playing Daguerreth
6: online like that idiot from the book.
0: Uh, can you can you dial back on the condescension there as you respond there?
6: You are watching
2: Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast, featuring a Tandy-colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original Color computer, the Coco 3, and the world-renowned exclusive French computer. Shot.
1: Okay. Take it away,
4: Curtis. Okay. Actually, just before I get started on that, uh, I think uh, Boat of Car Schaller's just joined us as well. Hey, guys. So All we're right. having full Amigos representation today. How's it going? And actually, one, one of the, the news items, actually, I'll let you do it first because actually, you guys are going to be doing a pre record uh, right after Coco Talk's over. So you want to kind of explain? Yeah, yeah. Both so shows
10: that we normally record um, our shows uh, our, aside from Amigos, which we do every week. Uh, our other shows about a month ahead of time so if you're looking to get a sneak sneak preview of the next edition of the Coco Show podcast we're going to be recording it immediately following Coco Talk on our Twitch channel twitch.tv slash amigos retro gaming so this uh, month's Coco Show which is really going to be next month's Coco Show is Demon Attack. A game familiar to a lot of you guys because it was just featured on the Game On Challenge a couple weeks ago. So we're really excited to dive deep. We're going to be talking about the history of the game, going into a lot of uh, comparisons with the various ports and things like that. So uh, if you're into it, join us right after Coco Talk.
4: And you might as well plug the other show you're recording at the same time here, in this case, just in case there's some cross-platform. Absolutely.
10: People. So, you know, we also do a show about the Atari computer called 1200XL, which is the uh, the, the much maligned uh, edition of the Atari 8, but that nobody remembers it was canceled after only one year because it was vastly overpriced. Uh, But anyway, 1200XL is all about Atari 8-bit games. Uh, And uh, this month's episode, which again is really going to be next month's episode, is going to be Pole Position. So uh, who doesn't love Pole Position, right? Oh, good game. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be a good time. Uh, You know, if if you've never listened to uh, any of the Amigos podcasts before, you'll know that it's about uh, 80% banter, 20% substance.
4: So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so your quarter's still beating ours though so a-
10: <laughs> but yeah we'd we love to have you guys uh, hang out with us on Twitch we always you know interact with the chat before and after the show and stuff like that so uh, come come on by twitch.tv slash amigos retro gaming
4: hey thanks excellent and with that I'll get back to the rest of the news so let me share a screen here time for news game on news it's actually a pretty short week this week there's um, just a few um so go through is fairly quick okay first off we have um cuthbert dragon we've featured a lot of his videos before and he's been doing you know his new redoing his page with the two games three minute shots with some exceptions and this particular one he actually played shock trooper right through and got through every screen got every single shrinking spaceship thing and actually won the game basically where he had a ten thousand point bonus which i've never been able to do myself has anybody else in the panel been able to do that on shock trooper So what i thought i I would do here is i would play the last (laughs) yeah that's i'll play the last minute of the game so you guys can actually see with the 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 windscreen i mean it's not you know hugely impressive or anything but just to see him get this far uh, that's that's what was news to me so i'll just play this little one minute clip i actually see the word exit which i thought was rather strange and there's some of those falling things from the ceiling, which I'd not seen, <clears throat> except I think last week when he did his first uh, longer playthrough of it. But that uh, turning invisible becomes absolutely necessary. You will not win the game if you don't use that, that feature, which I mean, some people who just picked up the game back in the old days through the uh, underground channels may not have known that that was even an option. I'm not playing the sound too, because he didn't actually play the game sound. He actually just played some you know, musical track in the background. I didn't want to get a ding for it. so Ding. We probably already have been dung anyway. <laughs> she actually board the ship and flap, which I thought was kind of cool. And then you get 10,000 bonus points, so that's a good way to jack up your score if you can do it. And then he had one other one, and this is different. Uh, This is the first non-game play video that he's done on his channel. And he basically, he's got issues two through five of the Cuthbert Chronicle, which is the gaming magazine for the Dragon, which actually features a lot of Cocoa stuff too. So if you guys want, it's just a two minute, 20 second video. I could play the whole thing because he actually kind of like goes through some of the pages. He shows some of the ads, some of the game reviews. Uh, This ad here was for the 69 color show, which is for Dragon and Tandy users. Did you guys want to see the whole video or just a brief clip of it yeah hit it wake up <laughs> okay well if you guys want me to cut it short just tell me but i'll, I'll play it for now
0: is there
2: any is audio
4: the, is the sound no he's just got music playing in the background so it's not oh. But you see, you recognize some of the Cocoa games like Danger Ranger, Beam Rider the King. Dungeon Raid was uniquely done for the Dragon. Uh, The special artwork here and a review of Time Bandit itself. And of course, their artwork was quite different than ours. Were
10: were all the Cocoa magazines, uh, were any of them 100% full color or were they always kind of a a combination of black and white and and color?
4: Pretty well a combination, I think, all Mm -hmm. of them. The most colorful one was probably Color Computer Magazine, which came out in 83 till 85, I think. And was then Was that the cocoa official Radio Shack
10: production? Was that sponsored nope. by?
4: No, that was Tier City Microcomputer News. It was the Radio Shack one. Okay. Tea Time, obviously, and Fierce Freddy. Those are uniquely dragon titles there. Though they work on the cocoa once you could use the keys. I, I just find it kind of cool that Microdeal actually made these magazines in full color just for their gamers. And I don't think we really had an equivalent in North America. There was an adventure survivors newsletter thing for, you know, playing adventure games, but it wasn't the production value like this. It was just a Xerox newsletter. Now boat, since you do a lot more with the, the UK market and the European market with some of your shows and some of your uh, fans and stuff, is this something that was common to the like the Spectrum and the BBC Micro and that kind of thing too? Do you know, or
10: you, you mean just just having magazines, or
4: I've just devoted to the games of a particular? Oh platform. yeah,
10: I mean it was a it was insurmountably bigger in the UK. The gaming magazines, uh, you know, I don't remember a lot of solely gaming magazines coming out for computers in the eighties, um, but in the UK because the market was on average you know ten years younger, I'd say. Um, you know the game the magazines devoted to the spectrum were you know 100% games or maybe 90% games where maybe it was I wouldn't say it was flip-flopped you know in the states but it was definitely more rare to have a, a magazine solely devoted like we didn't really have anything like Crash Magazine for the Spectrum here in the States. I don't think for, for the Coco or for the Atari computers or anything like that.
4: Yeah, because um, we did have generalized gaming magazines, like yeah. Electronic Games Monthly and stuff, but that covered every console. That was like everything, three. right, right. But devoted to a single platform. that It was, is sort of weird
10: everything. that we didn't, because you'd think that there would have been a market there, um, you know, that, that there were... I would say that from from time immemorial, you know, the majority of users, you know, uh, of of computer users, there there's always people that are just in it for the games. So you'd think that the market could have supported at least one, but we really didn't have any.
4: Yeah, I I remember like before the big video game crash in '84, there was like Video Game Monthly, Electronic Games, and something else. I can't remember what the official title was, but they didn't. Of course, Atari Age. Was that only games, though, or was that a more like a rainbow nah. where there's a chunk of games and there's a chunk for regular programs? It
0: was a general one. Yeah, right, and I know that Antic
10: and Analog, they all had, like, the game section of the magazine, but they were mostly devoted to, you know, learning to program a lot of productivity type stuff.
4: Yeah, and that was the same with Rainbow, Color Computer Magazine, Color Computer News, Hot Cocoa, you know, it was basically the same thing for the Cocoa side of things, too, so. And the fact that we supported, like, at one time, we had five full-color magazines going simultaneously for the Cocoa alone in the 83-84 time frame.
10: Yeah, and, it's really impressive.
4: Yeah. And like I said, we've been trying to figure out what, what exactly were the sales of the Cocoa really. And the only thing I found official is that there was an article in 80 Micro, and I published, put it in Discord here last week, that by the time... Summer of 81, and the cocoa got announced in July of 80, didn't go on sale till around October. They had to do some recalls because there were some problems with the RF shielding and a bunch of other things, and some of the early SAMs didn't work properly. So they had to do a bunch of recalls. But by the time the summer had rolled around, they'd already sold over 50,000 of them. And this is, you know, pretty early on when sales wouldn't have been as high as they were later. So I don't know if that's an indicator. What,
10: what year? I mean, what year is it commonly assumed that cocoa sales peaked?
4: Um. Well, if we go by rainbow magazine size, I'd probably say 83, 84. And there might okay. have been a, a mini boom in 86, 87 when the Coco 3 came out. But the transition between the Coco 1 and Coco 2, that's basically where it, it, its final boom, I think, of the original one. Mainly because you had this nice, smaller, more compact Coco 2 with a better keyboard, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So.
10: It probably followed the larger trend, too. I'm sure that the 83, 84, you know, time period, right, uh, leading up to the crash. Um, I'm sure yeah. that that's when Atari sales spiked. You know, the C64 was re- released in '82, I think. So,
4: yeah, I think everybody pretty well peaked. I mean, that's also right. when you know TI and stuff started. You know, for yeah. bargain basement prices. <coughs> okay, next up, and this is kind of a follow up from last week, um, where we showed the Return of the Beast demo that uh, Stuart Orchid had written for the uh, Dragon, which is that Zevius clone with three voice music on the uh, intro screen and really good scrolling and sound effects. I didn't realize it, but he actually has the source code for it up here and it's an incomplete game. It's a playable demo basically, it's get one level. You can change the color sets, et cetera. But if anybody wants to try to finish it or if they want to try to get it to run a Cocoa because apparently it only runs at 50 Hertz. So it'll run on a PAL Coco or a PAL Dragon 3264. It will not run properly on a Cocoa with 60 Hertz NTSC. So I don't know if anybody uh, wants a, a bit of an ML project and see if they can actually get it running properly at 60 Hertz, but that'd be a cool one to have. And there's some readme and there's commented source code and everything else here too. So you can just go download the whole thing and play with it to your heart's content. Next up, we have Mike Powell, who, and and I uh, wish Aaron was still on the call for this one here too, because I know he's done this a little bit for the Coco side of things, but a lot of these front ends they've been making for some of the emulators. So you can have like screenshots and you can have you know, like musical samples and stuff from games, or or sound samples and little video clips as well, still images, etc. Uh, Mike is trying to build a, a front end like that for the various emulators, but for the Dragon specifically. And you know, you're having some unique Dragon and He's got kind of a concept thing here where he's showing you know some of the games uh, logos on the right hand side, so like Airball, and a few others. Alcatraz Two is a spectral one originally on the Coco, and he's showing Airball screenshot on there with a, you know an old style TV, a Dragon joystick picture in front. But he wants to do a lot of more visually and actually create an entire Dragon 3264 front end for these types of things. So if anybody has done any of this kind of stuff before, and maybe Aaron can get in contact with him for some of the screenshots just to save the guy some time. I mean an interesting project to do, you know, do the dragon side of things instead of yeah, just the cocoa. I wonder, line share.
10: I wonder what front end in particular he's 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 going for. Um this looks like it could be hyperspin or it could be coin ops because they both look sort of similar. Yeah, he
4: mentions coin ops, Retro-FE, and hyperspin, etc. So he's Kind of, I think, planning and trying to do, uh, you know, a bunch of Mm -hmm. the same one for basically a lot of these front ends.
10: Right. And because there is so much overlap between Dragon and Coco Games, I'm sure that Aaron, you know, could definitely help out. Um, I'm not really sure. I know that he's uploaded his things to there is there's some sort of a coin ops repository somewhere um, where people upload their various themes and things. Um, But I don't know exactly where that is. We'll have to we'll have to get with him and find out.
4: Okay. cool. So that would be good to link the guys up here, because like I said, the, the Dragon had hundreds of unique games, which we're now starting to port over. The keys are different because of the keyboard mapping inside the actual hardware, which you have to just kind of reprogram a little bit to get around. And if it's joystick, it works exactly the same, so it's not a problem. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting to get some of those. And then we can, once we get them you know, fixed up for the Coco's keyboard, we can actually incorporate those same artworks and, and logos, et cetera, on the Cocoa side and just add the Dragon games to it and vice versa, so we can actually cross-pollinate. Next one here, uh, we've got a YouTube channel called Contra Epic Core, and they did a long play video of the Coco3 Contras game, where he actually plays the whole game through from start to finish, wins the game outright in less than 15 minutes, which I've never even come close to accomplishing either. Um, I think I can get to level three or four. So I thought for the people who have not seen the end of Contras, I'd I'd take you down to near the, the last level and just play the last little bit, about a minute of it. is also the theme music you guys use in the Coco Show.
10: Yep, it's a great tune.
4: Now is it the same as the Nintendo's or is it different? No,
10: no, it's different. The uh Nintendo. the uh um well I th- I think it might be inspired by the, the, the Nintendo version, but it definitely has its own sound.
4: And once you win in the credit scroll, up, it actually has a new song that if you haven't won the game you wouldn't have heard before. I don't know if that's from the Nintendo or not.
10: Yeah, I'm not sure if that's... I, I've i rarely gotten to the end of any Contra <laughs> game before. <laughs> They're not easy games.
4: No. I, I used to be able to do in the arcade, the original one, but the arcade one is so different than the Nintendo and the Coco one. I just thought it was kind of cool, because that's not something a lot of Coco game players would actually have seen, because that's that, like you said, that's not an easy game to play.
10: Yeah, I mean, is there... Uh... <coughs> Really, are there a lot of games in the Coco library that you can really speed run like that? That have a definite ending, that don't just loop around? Not a
4: ton. I mean, the Coco was from the era where people were porting arcade games. So, I mean, adventure games, obviously, you could do that. But uh, as far as arcade games, there, there's a few, but not, not a lot. Most of the time, you just restart it over with you know faster speeds, more enemies, you know that type of thing. Nick Nick um, Marenti's actually is one that does tend to put finishes in his games. Like Popstar has one, Gatecrasher has one. Yeah. And do any of your other ones? I think Rupert Rhythm, you get the concert at the end, don't you?
0: You do, yeah. And even the the one I'm doing now.
4: Ooh, teasing. (laughs) (laughs) Does that mean you have an update? (laughs) Uh, No, not really. Oh, okay. Uh, Next up. Now, last week we posted that um, the 10-liner basic programming contest is back up and atom. And Jim Gary, who's entered these the last few years and won a few times, um, is just, you know, he's a machine. So he's actually cranked out three games already for it in the span of one week, um, which we'll be getting to shortly. But he's also done this one here. This is a port of the MC-10, or to the MC-10 of the Pirate Adventure by Scott Admins of Adventure International, which you may remember is some of the original uh, adventure games from Micros. And this one here, he's actually changed it because the original port he did required several cassette files to fit even in the 20K mc So You'd load in part of the game, play it, and then it would load in the next chunk. And he actually managed to crunch it down now and it's a single load. So you don't have to keep the cassette going. I won't play the, the actual video because it's you know, a, a pretty lengthy gameplay, but it's a typical you know, Scott Adams noun verb type adventure game. But he actually got to cram down into to fit in one cassette file. And then he's got three that he's entered in so far this week for the 10-liner uh, contest. Now, you'll notice he's got some line numbers here beyond 10, but that's all remarks, um, basically explaining you know instructions and stuff. And that technically does not count against the game because you don't need that to run the game. You can delete those lines and it runs fine. So this first one is kind of a, a clone of the old space war, computer space type thing. And of course, in the low res of... Uh, MC 10 standard semi-graphics mode. I'd like to see what this actually runs like compiled with the new compiler they've got to see how much that would speed it up. But it's a two-player game. You got the gravity and you shoot each other type thing. And then his second entry is called The Explorer, which is based on a text adventure by Clive Gifford from 1985. So it's another of the uh, text adventure games, you know, similar to Pirate Adventure except much smaller, only 10 lines. And I believe if I remember correctly, Jim's doing the 80-line version because there's multiple versions of it. Where you have you know lines that can't be longer than 80 characters, lines that can't be longer 255 characters, lines that can be anything. You can compress and fiddle with the basic uh, you know interpreter. You can fool Microsoft with the edit command, for example, to actually make lines longer than 255, et cetera. So uh, most of these are actually the straight 80 column, you know, the lowest common version of it. Was so somebody making a comment there?
10: Yeah, yeah. Was you know this question popped in my head? Was there ever a port of the Quill to the to the Cocoa?
4: Who was that by?
10: The, the Quill was, oh, boy, that's a great question. Uh, it's basically an adventure game creator. Um, so it's like an adventure game construction set where you didn't actually have to code. It, it gave you sort of the parser and everything. Um, I, it, it had releases on a bunch of different platforms. And I was just wondering if the, if the Coco had uh, a version.
4: I don't think so. There was a couple Coco unique ones back in the day for making your own adventure games and so it looks like was, yeah i
10: was it was released on the specky the c64 the amstrad atari 8-bit everything but the coco sorry guys <laughs> yeah i think probably
4: because mm-hmm. we had our own ready by that time yeah um this there, was, there uh, were several out back in the day and then there's also a modern version that evan wright has shown off i think at, at coco fest where it's actually you write it on a modern system and then it'll generate a tier saving model 1-3 and a coco version of that okay using the engine but yeah, I don't remember the quill being specifically. There was Adv Maker by George Murn. I can't remember the name of the second one, but there was a couple back in the day. And then his last one here, <clears throat> which he calls Slapshot, another 10-liner, uh, which is basically, I don't know if you call it the same thing in the States. Do you call it foosball? Where you?
6: Yeah, it's kind of foosball. Like table soccer.
10: Yeah.
4: It, it's kind of along that line, and it's a two-player game, and he actually plays against his son here. So not, not bad for a 10-line basic program even got some French in there to be fancy. (laughs) Nick Moreau, did you want to translate? Where's Nick sleeping already? We are in news now. Hard to believe that's 10 lines. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty impressive for 10 lines. (laughs) Better than your average Atari game.
1: Mm.
2: Well, blue blue is spelled in English for some reason, and in red, (laughs) <laughs> <in French. laughs> That's right. Yeah, Le
4: Rouge, which is the red, isn't it?
2: The <laughs> Reds. Victories, the victories, obviously. Yeah, blue is English. Oh, is it oh, Ontario okay. versus oh, Quebec? This is a bilingual game. Yeah. I got it. Yeah, there this is go. this is
4: Quebec versus Ontario, basically.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <time>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great.
4: Or France versus England. Take your pick.
2: <laughs> oh, how funny.
6: Nice good catch
4: (laughs) and anyway that's all i had for game on news this week it's a nice short one i don't think michael even had time to fall asleep
7: (laughs) oh i think he did
1: (laughs) Uh, all right we want to go into regular news or another commercial
4: (laughs) Uh, no we'll go into regular news that's way too short to have a commercial
10: from around the
11: world what you need to know. Get
1: caught up on News with Elk Rizmo.
11: now a Muppet News Flash.
4: Okay, so first up, we showed Simon had done his Mandelbrot generating video last week. He's done an update to it now, where he's actually got it rendering in about six minutes, rewriting it in the machine language. I'll just play a few seconds just to show the speed up compared to the basic version we showed last week. And he's still got some more tweaks to do. He thinks so he can speed it up a bit more. But uh, I don't know I, 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 I like the fractal stuff, but I just I, I, I prefer something like Rescue and Fractalist to use fractals because I've seen Mandelbrot set so many times since the 80s. It's, it's kind of lost its luster, but it's, it's cool that he's getting it generating that fast because I remember doing it back in the day in basic and it would take hours to generate one of those things. Uh, next up, Aaron Newcomb from Retro Hack Shack has put up a new video showing how he upgraded his Coco Three. So he's got an SDC now. He's installed a 639. He installed the 2 Meg Boomerang E2 board. He made an RGB to HDMI circuit that also supports the NTSC artifact colors. And apparently that should even work even if you're running it on a PAL-based Coco Three. So that's kind of a neat upgrade. So he's just goes through a whole bunch of stuff he's been doing here. I won't you know play the whole video because it's it's almost an hour, but. Kind of goes through the layout of the COCO 3 versus the COCO 1 and 2. And then goes into desoldering the CPU and installing sockets. And then he decides to run some stuff just to demo it. So here he's got the uh, Zaxxon with the ad- artifact colors going with that little adapter board. And then, of course, kind of, you know, as a tribute to this week's game, he actually ran the Donkey Kong transcode as well. Which I think, both that's your favorite game of all time, right?
10: <laughs> it's a, absolutely my favorite game of all time
4: <laughs> you know me too well.
2: well it is the king but it's all right.
4: <laughs> anyway it's, it's a really good um, really good you know, article slash you know tutorial video uh, of going through the various upgrades that he put in and then getting the, the the video working out in in composite with artifacting and RGB and the whole bit so it's a, it's a it's a cool hardware project. Next up, we have Jerry Stratton. Now he put up a, a blog post earlier in the week here where he's actually, he, he wants to type in uh, articles or programs from, you know, Rainbow or Hot Cocoa or whatever, but he finds it distracting. He has to keep a look at the magazine, look back. And now he, he knows that you can cheat and just load these in off, you know, off tape or even OCR. them. He said that he wanted to experience it like the old days. But one thing that, uh, and I know I did this in the old days too for some typing programs. I'd get my brother to read the listing out, and I would type it rather than me have to keep glancing back and forth because that's, that's slower. If he just tells me, I can you know, watch the screen while I'm typing. So what he did is he actually used some of the Mac scripting and he actually has it read out the code and then he just types it in listening to the Mac. So I'll play a little bit of the video here and you can kind of just see an example of that.
3: line 50 go sub 1000 line 60 cls paren 0 close paren colon a equals 2 line 74 space n equals 2 2 10 step 2 line 80
4: anyway of course you can change the the rate of speed you can change the voice if you prefer a different you know voice that you can hear better or, or tweaks to you better um but he actually has it like reading out the line number saying the word line, like it's not just literally reading the screen. So he actually did a bit of scripting here to make it a bit more you know, easy to understand without having to glance at the magazine. So he did that. And the first version he did here, if it's reading out numbers like data statements, it will read out hex properly. So he had to do a modification, which he released later this week, which now bumps it up to be able to handle decimal and hexadecimal. And the sample he used was a Space Hawk game, which is a machine language game, which is a whole bunch of data statements with pokes, basically from hot cocoa magazine. It's actually quite a good Galaxy installed game. Um, we actually modified it to handle the decimal version of it, and that was the program used as a test on it. So if you're going to get it, make sure you get the latest version. Next up, after that, we have Richard Kelly. Uh, he's released uh, the very first alpha, beta, whatever you want to call it, of Memory Mirror, which is formerly the Extended Basic uh, ROM Viewer. And basically, it'll dump memory out uh, 32 bytes at a time in ASCII format and tell you where it is unfortunately i can't zoom that there hopefully it's readable um, but you can jump between memory locations etc now this is not so useful in the roms unless you're getting certain bits of text like maybe the rom prompts or you know the input prompt or something but this would be really good for text adventure games if you're trying to find the verb list or the noun list etc because you can just go and kind of go th- dump through and, and read it and once you find it you can just kind of go through the list and make a list of the keywords you need because a lot of the games back then you just had to guess and of course everybody did it slightly differently so it was kind of annoying having to figure out that you know this one wants speak and this other game wants talk and etc yeah that, so, that's
10: super useful Yeah, you
4: know, that's a lot easier than you know having to do the uh you know an x loop print picks or a character string peak whatever in a, in a loop and then trying to pause at the right place and oh i missed it shoot i want to scroll off screen you have to go back and so this is a lot more user-friendly Next up, this is one that Alan Huffman had uh, posted the links to. And uh, there's the, a thing called the BBS documentary that was done years ago, I think of 2004 or five or something like that. I remember the guy when he was actually researching it because he found my old Cocoa web pages on the Freenet because I actually had a copy of the BBS I'd written way back in the 80s. The source code is still available on there. And uh, he'd asked me a few questions of it. I wasn't a, like a big time seller of BBSs, so I didn't get interviewed or anything for the show. But he did you know, grab a few bits of information And when he published a list of all the different software for the various platforms, he actually did include mine in, in the list, which was kind of cool, but that this used to be a pay, you get the DVD of a type thing. And now it's been released from the original author on YouTube. So it's an eight part series with a bunch of little extra chapters of other things too. And it goes through the history of BBSing, uh, you know, from the very first history of modems coming to microcomputers and then competing with the internet or, you know, allowing links to the internet because people wanted to get onto, you know, some of the, List serves, etc it gets into fidonet it gets into the whole c versus pk war between arc and zip back in the day it's a very interesting documentary and, and alan pointed out one clip here in the first one where they're just talking about uh, the various camps of people you know running different micros and and basically how they still remember to this day how much each computer hated the other ones type thing you know if you had an atari you could never touch an apple if you had a coco you could never touch a commodore et cetera type thing which i mean we still have that a bit today but it's not as bad it's more done in jest because we're all retro people now and we kind of admit that you know you know, commodore had really good sid chips in there and you know that type of thing but it was just kind of fun and interesting to hear some of the poor you know people talking about it and one of the people actually specifically mentioned the coco um Whereas most of them are doing the standard you know, Atari and the Tier City Model 1 3, which are more well-known publicly. So I won't play this whole thing because each episode's like half an hour to 45 minutes and there's eight episodes plus there's auxiliary chapters. So it's hours. But if you're into the whole BBSing thing or if you just want to relive the nostalgia of you know doing it back in the day with Fidonet and everything else, it's it's an excellent documentary. Um, I'll just show you what the splash screen looks like and maybe play a little bit of the intro here just kind of get a feel for it.
5: We didn't just suddenly wake up one morning and we had the Xbox. We didn't wake up one morning and the internet was there. You know, how did we get there? That's what you want to know about history for.
4: And that pretty well sums up what the whole series is. But excellent viewing. I I would highly recommend this if you have any interest in the history of the whole modem revolution from the early 80s, late 70s, when Hayes came out, the smart modem, et cetera. Uh, Or even the acoustic couplers and stuff before that. I mean, Tandy used to sell those for all their diverse machines. And it's it was the BBSing time is one that I know Stevie, for example, had missed on the Cocoa side. He'd already jumped to the PC at that point. But I mean, that was one of the lifeblood lines of the Cocoa back in the late 80s to early 90s, especially. We had an OS9 FidoNet Echo. We had a, a generalized Cocoa FidoNet Echo. Then we had the listserv ones being brought over from the internet that you could you know, read on a FidoNet board if you didn't have access to the internet back then. And it was a lot of fun. There was online games, there was online graphics protocols uh multiplayer games where you take turns multi-line bbs's with multiplayer which even the coco supported <clears throat> and we of course had our own FidoNet compatible one with ribs written by ron byler and charles west bill noble contributed to some of that as well so there's an, an awesome history to go through the whole thing i highly highly recommend it if you're interested in that kind of thing next up and this is the uh michael Furman special today and uh, he started uh, a new blog to replace one that he'd shut down a few years back because of spam and trolling, et cetera. And uh, since Michael's actually on the call, Michael, if you want to explain what the blog is, what you plan to use it for, what its goals are, et cetera.
5: Yeah. If you well, click of, on uh, link, just let me know. Yeah. It kind of says up on, up on the corner, just for, you know, uh, talking about all my hobbies, including, uh, including Cocoa and retro computers and, Audio stuff, the various audio stuff that I'm doing because I like to build audio circuits. So, but uh, in this case, um, about uh, two weeks ago, um, Ron Klein, who does uh, Cocoa Pie, reached, uh, reached out to me and said, Hey, um, I want, you know, can you make a version of Nitrous 9 UU, the latest one, for um, uh, the Cocoa 3 FPGA? So I was working on that, and uh, I was also, you know, I came up with uh, with an idea for a couple projects, and one of them is a, um, the, I'm still working on it, but uh, I was trying to get it running on the Coco 3 FPGA, and then I found out that uh, Cisco didn't work. So the first article is, I made some modifications to that, and the second article is not, FPG3 FPGA but it's emulator so you know uh, I started up the the blog to you know as I am working on various things it sort of encourages me to finish it and document it and write it down so uh, this is now this is now live on my main, main webpage page uh, www.ocs.net
4: okay and I will mention that the, the some of these modifications you made to Cisco and stuff here, we'll be incorporating them in the 6.1 release, which we're tentatively shooting for late March, early April for coming out. There's a few other, there's a new version of the control panel and um, we're going to try to get um, Todd Wallace's uh, weather reader uh, working in there as well. So we're going to try to incorporate a lot of these updates. I know Bill's working on stuff. I'm working on stuff as well. So we'll we'll try to get all this stuff in there. But thanks. Thanks for doing that because I don't have a Code 3 FPGA and neither does, does Bill. So we can't really test any of that stuff. So thanks for A, finding the bug, and then B, even going further and actually fixing it.
5: Yeah, well, you know, uh, I'm always handy at, you know, going in and hacking around in other people's software. So I just <laughs> well, figured that... that's what the that,
4: whole uh, project is, basically. Yeah.
5: <laughs> so, you know, I... I figured that, uh, you know, from our, I've been talking back and forth with uh, Curtis and, and Bill quite a bit about uh, Cocoa 3 FPGA support. Mm-hmm. And as, as some people here on Cocoa talk, will say, it's kind of like a dead platform because it's hard to obtain the hardware. You know, it, it, it's a little bit obscure. So I figured what the heck I'll just go find a way to fix the bug. And uh, you know, I'm, that's, that's uh, just like uh, Bill does the um, the matchbox one. I can. Yep. So, what my plan is for that, and I, I have an article that uh, I've started writing for this, is sometime in the near future, I'm going to have what's called a. Um, I'm not referring. I'm not referring to this particular article, actually. If you go to the other one, um, this one? yeah, on this one, a project that I'm still that I'm still working on, I have this thing called the obsolete computer systems EOU customization pack. I'm actually writing a piece of software that uh, I can distribute a floppy disk. And and I have, the ones that I have here on this article are just like, uh, they're working examples, but they're not the COCO3 FPGA ones. They're just, these are just for MAME. But um, uh, in EOU, you can install different kernels. And I'm actually writing a piece of software that basically, I mean, it's just basically just copying files, but it, it tells you, hey, this, this boot pack is for this. Do you want to install it? You know, kind of an installer type of thing. Um, and I'm going to include these, these ones I have here, which are for MAME. So uh, the instructions here walk you through setting up MAME to work with, uh, work with DriveLayer, which is not something that's in the stock build. So you attach a floppy disk image, you run the installer, and then you run swap boot, and then you reboot, and boom, you have you have driveware running. So I want to so I want to not be in the, in the uh, business of redistributing EOU. I can actually distribute uh, you know my installer disk with the packs in it and instructions, and you download the the stock EOU, and then you can use use my disk with the instructions and scripts and everything to do the customization yourself. So that's kind of the, the idea. Um, I'm not quite, I, I have an article halfway written for that. Um, you know, th- this, is, this page would be the you know, the canonical instructions for how to use that.
4: Yeah, and to be honest, that's something that Bill and I were planning to do too. too but we also, we, we hit the, uh, the problem where some of the installs of certain things take bigger than a regular floppy disk image could handle. And of course we had that bug in the driver for EMU disk where the second hard drive didn't work properly. It would start corrupting files and doing all kinds of stupid things. Now that that's been fixed as of 601, we were planning on going the same direction for doing installs of the next versions of EOU. 6.1 might not be this way, but seven for sure will, where you actually just keep your existing one. Cause right now we've been giving you instructions like copy all your personal settings off and any custom projects you're doing, copy them off somewhere else and restore them back on after you install the new EOU. And now we're going to make it an update installer, kind of like you're doing here, with the swap boot. And um, we'll be able to handle like even a hard drive sized install. You have a program that takes four A because it has graphic files and sound files or whatever else. You can actually just do it the same way that, that you're doing here. And also I, I'd like to thank you because the whole point of me creating swap boot was that people could do this. They can customize their own. We'll give a couple of common distributions with it. But if you have certain custom hardware you wanted to add or you just have your system set up differently than, than Bill and I chose as the defaults, that you can just literally install these and then run swap boot and just you know switch and swap between them as much as you want for custom settings. And that's exactly the type of purpose that we created swap boot for. And I'm I'm really glad you picked it up and, and ran with it because that's I think that's one of the best ease of use things we've added probably in in the 60601 era was adding the swap boot utility.
5: Yep. And uh, I have um I've written my cause I'm I'm not really that great of an assembly language programmer. I'm just rest you know I'm really rusty. But um, C is fine, so I've written I've written in C, and it's uh, a you know base. I didn't use uh, cross compiling. I wrote the whole thing on my Cocoa 3, you know, either Mame or you know using the tools in EoU to actually actually build it, and that's actually a lot of fun, you know, actually programming Mm -hmm. actually programming on the Cocoa, not not using you know normally I use cross compiling tools or whatever. So um, sounds like there's some uh, some room for us to coordinate on yes. uh, on this kind on of installers. customization mm-hmm. on this uh, you know this kind of customization thing, and because it's not all assembly language, it'll be a little bit more uh, approachable to people to actually see what the thing does and how it works.
4: Yeah, <clears throat> I think we have to do a video presentation of some of these features. Robin and I have talked about doing this, but he's been kind of busy, so I haven't had a chance to talk to him. Because we we're planning on doing either a live record and then put it up, or maybe a pre record version of kind of going through some of the new features. Including the swap boot, and and, and to, to take your your cue there about writing it, your uh, installer stuff in C. Swap boot itself is written in Basic O nine. I didn't use assembly for that either.
5: Oh wow, <laughs> cool. So yeah, I don't really know Basic O nine. Um, maybe I should uh, learn it. But you know, I know how to do, I know how to do all the basic stuff in C pretty well. So that that was easier for me.
4: You know, <laughs> yeah, and that's the nice thing. I mean, we have a bunch of languages to choose from and you can pick whatever you like. And whether you're running an emulator <clears throat> or a cross assembler, cross-compiler type thing, I mean, you can do it in any of them. <clears throat> and if you have a large project, you can just you know run an emulator crank overclock the CPU to like 89 megahertz and you know, it'll pack a baseline program or compile a C program in like seconds. So it's it's a really nice system for doing that. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, I think I think you and Bill and I should get together. I would like to come up with some sort of standardization, like a file that can read scripts or something. And also have some sort of GUI to make it really easy to use for doing installs off of the second hard drive image onto the main. If you want to install like a yeah, a new yeah, game I mean, or th- this could swap. just
5: as easily be distributed in a hard drive image. And I do have like a uh, manifest file, so that uh, you, you know you can just add. Uh, this was one question I kept having. I kept not understanding with swap boot was how does it how does it know what the things are for? And it's basically for the name. And probably a better way to you know. Um, a better way to do that is to have like a manifest file that has some fields in it that says, this is for drive wire, This is for emulator. This is, you know, some, something, you know, but we can talk about those details later. Yeah. You know, I, I, would I was be, thinking of
4: doing this was just kind of a quick hack to get it working. And I just named the files enough that you could tell what they were for, but once you get into complex things, like this is my special boot for the speech sound pack that's overclocked with the uh, drive wire, you know, python version plus you know you keep running a room trying to name that yeah. in, in the name so yeah yeah it was something I was planning on doing too but this was a hack just to get it so you could swap the boots easily like I use it da- pretty well daily switching between emulators and the real cocoa because you know I might do a, a large assembly on the re- on the emulator to get it done fast copy the SD card throw in the cocoa and I boot the literally the same hard drive image and uh, just do the swap boot. So I get, you know, back to 80 column RGB instead of the composite defaults and maybe we'll have to revisit that. I mean, we, maybe we should take a poll at some point, like how many people really are running with, you know, just plain old composite 40 column. Like maybe I should default to RGB and not.
5: I hate typing oh, so. mon um, type R all the time, but I know I can, I can, I can change it in the EMV file if I really wanted. Yeah. So now and that be I honest, know what... like
4: the emulator ones, we default to RGB 80 column because that's what you're going to be running it in anyway. So. I mean, anyway, thanks thanks for starting the blogs. Thanks for doing the, the extra swap boot stuff here, because that was something Bill and I had in our checklist was to actually get onto the Coco 3 FPGA and do a full wire support in the boots as well. Just hadn't gotten to it yet and you you did it for us. So thanks.
5: <laughs> yeah. So I I haven't even I haven't even sat down to make all of the boot packs that I want to make yet. I only have done the basic drive layer one and I have a drive layer boot one and then you know. We in order to be a complete, complete solution, you have to go farther as you said and you know include uh, kernel boot tracks and you um, for different situations and you know scripts that you can run so you can you know uh, so you can like you know you, you understand it actually needs yeah. to be like an installer thing, so I'm just yeah. just really scratch just really scratching the surface here. A lot of yeah. things we can do with this.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, there's already a utility for doing the kernel tracks and their Kutil does it quite nicely. In fact, I use that to make all the distributions, but uh, we can definitely have it called from an installer so that you don't have to like learn it all yourself. Because we want to make this both powerful for people like you that do know the inner workings quite a bit, but we want to make it dead simple for people like, you know, Bo yeah. or Ron that, you know, they want some special, I want this one with a high-res joystick interface or I want this one with, you know, mm-hmm. RGB versus composite because I have some game I want to run that requires composite from the Cocoa one in two days or whatever. We want to make it just as easy as possible.
5: And I, I like uh, writing tools that people can people can use, like PyDriveWare is a good example. So yeah. anyway, Curtis, uh, sounds like uh, we should wrap this discussion up here. But uh, yeah, I yeah. plan to work on. I'm work, a little excited you know,
4: about it. That's why I talked about it longer than the normal, so.
5: <laughs> yep. Nitrous, uh, nitrous 9 eOU takeover of this show.
4: <laughs> well, that's the way it should be but yeah
5: <laughs> I'm right, sure next- I'll have more uh, more more articles coming because I I have many that are halfway written that I need to finish up so
4: yeah it's just good to see you getting your blog going again because it's been I think what five years since you last did one.
5: Yeah yeah because uh, uh, you know people were spamming the heck out of it and emailing stuff and whatever yeah
4: anyway the next is kind of a double post here and uh, this one we'll get some input from anybody who's viewing at home and anybody that's on the panel so jim rain the current president of glenside had put up a proposition of kind of getting back a little bit to the old days because right now the glenside online meetings through blue jeans are basically just business meetings that's like going through treasury reports and secretary reports and you know maybe changing the constitution of the club or that type of thing it's been very business oriented And one thing Jim said he missed from the old days and some other people have mentioned this before in the past is that, you know, an actual club meeting back in the day, that was just a small part of it. I mean, they also do a meeting like that during Cocoa Fest, but that's like a separate thing. The club members can go off and they have their, you know, read the minutes, treasury reports and that stuff too. But the Cocoa Fest itself is kind of like the bigger club meeting where it's demos and, you know, getting to meet and greet everybody. (laughs) And so one thing he wanted to try to bring back as an experiment is to have the call once monthly club meeting to include a demo section before the actual meeting. So people that are there only for the business side of the meeting, they would just come in at the regular, I think it's 7.30 time, start time. And that would just be the regular meeting you're used to doing now. But people wanna see a demo of some new hardware or software, maybe a tutorial, whatever we decide in the future, would come in an hour early and they could watch that. And then if that's older and student, they don't care about you know the club's inner workings, they can just skip out after that's done. And if they're a really, you know, gung-ho Glenside person, they can stay for both. So he posted, uh, Jim Brain posted a, an article about it here, just kind of explain the whole concept of it and doing the demo type thing, which you can read on the Glenside, um, Glenside ccc.com uh, webpage. And then he also put a poll up on the Glenside group in Facebook here to ask about some suggestions and of what you would like to see demoed. So a couple of things they got here. They got Cocoa connection options for BBS, IRC, etc. Using drive wire, Wi-Fi, etc. Which we've you know, covered various projects doing it there. Um, some people, of course, just want to do the business meeting straight through. And I think the solution to that is if you make it a hard time out that you know if you start the demo at 6:30, it has to be done by 7:30 so that people aren't just hanging around waiting. If that's not what they're into, if we can make it you know strict enough that you stop it. Seven thirty, and if you have to do it the next meeting to carry on because you couldn't quite get it done that's fine um then they were talking about printing options and development platforms tool chains coca media that's some suggestions he's actually got an ad option there so if you can think of another subject you'd like to get covered at a club meeting or demoed please feel free to go to the facebook group there you can vote on the existing ones or you can create your own I personally might check the uh, the Wi-Fi and, and BBS IRC stuff because that's something I'm interested with. Some of the people like Rick and a few others that are working on networking cards, et cetera, here, you know. And then I mean, Boat has mentioned before too, it'd be nice if the Coco could do some network gaming so you can play against other players anywhere on the planet. L- let me ask
1: video. you a question
10: because I I, I forgive me. I, I'm just ignorant of almost everything in life. But these are the guys that organize Coco Fest, right? Yes. Okay. So the business meeting part of things is mostly just centered around like looking forward to the next Cocoa Fest. I mean, what, what are we talking about here in the business meeting part of the meeting?
4: Well, that's other things too. I mean, that's like pre-booking things, deciding if you want to, you know, sponsor guests to come to a Cocoa Fest, but it, it is mm-hmm. all Publishing the newsletter. The there's, there's, a, there's other things besides the Fest involved.
10: Well, <clears throat> yeah, it, So the 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 Glenside Color Computer Club does other things where they're booking guests, etc., outside of fest Is that what you're saying?
4: Well, guests is usually for fest but like say publishing the Glenside newsletter, which is done quarterly. Right, that's that's outside the fest. So they're soliciting for articles and asking who would like to write a regular you know monthly or a regular issue article what is published every time like rick Euland, i think is, is planning on doing mm. so there, it, there's it, there's it, various things plus it goes through finances and you know blah blah blah. i mean covid's been kind of weird because normally they had a library room that they'd meet at in chicago and then people would have joined in in blue jeans with the live meeting mm-hmm. and of course now it's it's all virtual but uh and who's right, gonna bring right. the donuts <laughs> yeah important
10: (laughs) it just seems like you know if the if the 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 entirety of the reason for this club to exist is just to organize and talk about the next coco fest then why not just make it all about coco fest and then all of the extra stuff why not just push on to coco talk and not even bother with it within the, the confines of the computer club at least while it's virtual and once it starts to meet in person again of course everything changes and you can you can have people coming in of course that's a great time
4: well, I, I think one of the reasons is, is that they were finding with the original non-virtual before COVID was that it was usually there was a couple of regulars that would show up virtually and then it was everybody else that was local. Mm-hmm. And I think they found that with everything virtual, I think there's an opportunity to get people that normally did not get that involved are actually getting involved now. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jim Brain being elected president, I think, is an example of that. <clears throat> and also, I think they want to try to expand, like make this into a club again, rather than just a Cocoa Fest sponsor event. So that's why they, you know they've been getting the newsletter out, you know, trying to get it back out on time. They're soliciting much more for articles. I mean, the last one that Stevie did, which was a huge one, it was what seventy pages or something like that. It was like a magazine. So I mean, there's they're trying it, to expand the scope of what the meeting covers.
10: Right. I just wonder, because Coco Talk is is sort of you know has become what it is in terms of the way that we were able to virtually meet. I think that something like the 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 GCCC should differentiate itself in some way or else you're just going to be repeating content. Right.
4: That's possible. I mean, the newsletter is unique to them. I mean, the rest of us are, I mean, is the
10: newsletter something that you need to get together and meet about?
4: Uh, sometimes because sometimes you'll get you know submissions from several people who are actually working on an article on the exact same thing so you don't really want to publish four articles all on how to you know, right but it's PC somebody YouTube that's
10: yourself. just walking in off the street that doesn't sound incredibly exciting to come in and, and talk about you know four people's uh contributions to a newsletter
4: no i guess that that would be true i mean it, it's a necessary function yeah but yeah it's, it's necessary. For an user, i no. just
10: wonder like I think, you know, at first I was like, oh my gosh, just just get on with the business meeting. That sounds horrible. But at the same time, if the main purpose of this club is to organize Coco Fest and to publish a newsletter, maybe that should be what the meetings are about and then push all of the other demos and exhibitions and things like that to a program that's already established online and a virtual presence like Coco Talk.
4: Yeah, that's to true. Be fair, I mean, the one thing I would say Cocoa is that- Talk. some. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Nick.
2: CocoTalk Talk is not really officially part of GCCC and vice versa. Sure, like, I understand. We're
6: not. Well, in well, so, format, I mean, if I'm sorry, um, if you've got an hour long demo, it sounds like this would be the place to do it. Where Cocoa Talk really, you know, yeah, do you want to add another hour full show. hour
4: to the four or five hours <laughs> we're ready to do just to get a demo out of the way? Mm. So maybe,
10: right. maybe, maybe, yeah, positioning it that way where if you have a long form demo, a, a something like this this club would be the place to do it that makes yeah.
4: sense yeah because i think basically if we've done long foreign demos on Cocoa talk we've usually had to make that a separate show in the evening like an after right. dark or something because right. it's just a bit too much to to go through the other thing is too is that some of the people that attend the glenside meeting are not on facebook they don't watch Cocoa talk
10: um, that's insane
4: true but I, I understand that point of view, too, that, that you know, some people can't make it. And Blue Jeans lets you call in an audio only. And that would make a terrible demo because you'd just be hearing things. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think the fact that you can actually get some interactivity with people that don't normally frequent the Facebook and the YouTubes, etc., can actually join in like you would if you were actually at a Cocoa Fest type thing. I think that helps encourage the community as a whole to include some people that maybe don't get included on a strictly Coco Talk type uh, show as it is now, and it's interactive. I mean, you could ask questions live during the demo type thing, kind of like we do when we, we have you know a demonstration of something on Coco Talk. But it's a long form one, and I don't think Coco Talk wants to go, you know, schedule one episode every month where we're doing a full one hour long demo yeah. of something.
10: It would be great if the if the minds if the powers of both groups could get together and sort of divvy up the content, you know, and say, listen. If, you, if you've got something that is, you know, a 10-minute thing that you want to show off, go on Coco Talk. But if you've got something that's more in-depth, that's going to take an hour, do, do the GCCC, and that way people are not tuning in and seeing duplicate demos, and it gives you a reason to join both groups.
4: Yeah, and I mean, I mean, the fact that Jim's active in our Discord, and he's also the president, it means he definitely would know and kind of be able to put the finger on that to, to make sure that does not happen. And actually, he's made some comments here. Um, he said, "You also have to understand that putting this stuff on Cocoa Talk would favor one media outlet over others." That is true. Um, and he apologizes. Right, I to mean, that's to the comment. nature
10: of the beast. That's just how it is.
4: Yeah, but I think Glenside wants to remain a bit of a unique entity in some ways too, because they can do some things that you know Cocoa Talk can't. I mean, they actually have some finances because they have dues that you know people pay to become part of the club. Of course, they are. the organizers of Cocoa Fest. Um, the organizers of the newsletter which is basically our magazine these days so yeah it's i i, I definitely take some of your points to heart on it as well um you definitely don't want to duplicate stuff where we do a 15-minute demo of the exact same thing that glenside's going to do in two weeks so for an hour you would maybe advertise it you know if you want to join the glenside meeting we're going to be demoing blah 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 yeah and if you I have mean, any questions is, you can ask is them this
10: then. something that is open is glenside open to everybody i mean do they post uh, is is it done through Zoom like Coco Talk or is it?
4: It's done through Blue Jeans, which is Blue kind of Jeans. a Zoom like thing. yeah Okay, okay. It's video and audio, and you can call in on a regular phone. You don't have to have a computer even to do it. You can call in on a landline if you wanted to.
2: Anybody can join. You just can't vote if you're not a member. But anybody can join, and yeah. okay. and
4: anybody who's attended Coco Fest and paid the admittance fee to Coco Fest is automatically a member for that year. So. Hmm. Which is why we're encouraging you and Aaron to come out one of these years whenever we get the. Well, here's what out. I
10: suggest. I suggest that if these guys want to keep all the goodies for themselves, that Coco Talk develops their own fest, and then we take over. Oh! <laughs> oh, then
4: we, oh we basically create a war. I love the way the that two. Bo just fosters community spirit. Yeah!
2: <laughs> I hope you're wearing asbestos underwear, man. Uh,
3: on this edition of Poke the Bear. <laughs> I'm, just kidding. I'm so, just kidding. So read Jim's
4: third comment there. Third one? Uh... GCC does not want to get into the drama that envelopes the Coca community recently. Yeah, I agree. I think they want to remain neutral. and just <laughs> <with that>. Fight. <laughs> anyway, I, I do encourage people. I, w- I would like to see this succeed. I would like to see a long form demo um, interactive questionnaire between the people watching. I think if they keep it strictly at those times, like if somebody knows their demo is going to go long, start earlier. Don't bump the business meeting because people that just want to get the business stuff of the club done don't want to sit there for an extra half an hour waiting for a demo to end so that part i do agree with what john and a few others have said i think you have to keep it fairly strict on the timeline yeah well you just people are not wasting their time for parts you
10: you front load the business meeting stuff you put that right up front and then you open it up afterwards and the people that want to get out can get out
4: well it works either way i think jim's kind of favoring the other way but it doesn't matter because as long as it's you know, fairly strictly scheduled. yeah i mean the, the,
10: the problem with doing it the other way is that it, it kills any sort of interactive spirit like if you've got a demo going on and you've got a lot of people with questions you don't want to shut those people down because you're worried about coming in under the thing versus if you go with the business meeting first you have the robert's rules order that keeps everything flowing and then you open it up anyway that's just my opinion
4: <laughs> yeah that's worth discussing like maybe the, that should be flipped maybe that would work easier i mean the business side can also go longer than normal too depending that's on true
10: that's true that's true
4: like <laughs> all the rebooking for cocofest trying to get around COVID. i'm sure those meetings lasted a while
10: yeah yeah you're right
4: yeah anyway uh, please uh, take part in the poll if you can think of any options for a demo you'd like to see from the, some of the, in the new hardware software that's been discussed in the last you know six months or whatever that's not on this list so far Feel free to add an option. Maybe some other people go, oh, I'd like to see that too, and they'll click on it too. So we can kind of get an idea where we want to take this for the first version of this. And maybe this doesn't work out, I don't know. But it's worthwhile trying, I believe. Next step, near and dear to my heart, it's Nitrous 9. Um, So this is Joanne Donaldson, who's been learning to relearn C under Nitrous 9.0 Cocoa and using Jeff's new DCC compiler, which is a bit more advanced version of the original C compiler. And uh, she hadn't actually used make files in quite a while and kind of forgotten how to do it. And she finally got everything straightened out. She's been asking questions the last few days. And she actually created a little text file about how to create them so that you can actually set them up nice and easily if you don't have the full C compiler documentation, which is like pages and pages of stuff that you can download from the archive. But this is kind of like a quick and dirty what you basically need to basically get it set up to do a very quick C compile. And the C compiler with the make files is actually quite smart as long as you set your date and time correctly anyway. Because if you have a multi-part project that say six C source files and you only change one, it won't recompile the whole darn thing from scratch. It'll just recompile the one file you updated and then link them back with the previous ones you've done. So the compile times are much faster. So that's a nice little handy reference for any of you you can see. And I know I've had a few people that have mentioned on the show and even in Discord that they've just gotten back into C and are starting to get into where Joanne's at. And this is a nice, you know, quick one that they can share back and forth and and get into it. And anybody else is interested in learning C on the COCO, this is a nice, you know, quick way to learn how to do the make files without having to go through the entire C library manual. Next, after that, uh, the retro channel on YouTube released a video that shows how to add component, not composite video to a COCO one and does a brief explanation of video signals This is from a fellow Aussie of uh, Nick's and we've covered a couple of his. He actually had a couple of videos that came out in September. So we've been kind of following. He did one last week on doing some stuff for the COCO3. This is specifically on the COCO1 and 2 and he actually gets the whole component video working. And this is uh, more than just a tutorial on doing this upgrade board. This is also a tutorial on how video signals in general work. Like What is the difference between RGB versus NTSC versus PAL versus component versus composite, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it digs deep. If you want to learn how all this stuff works it's a great great video and it's 23 minutes long so i'm definitely not going to play it here but definitely check it out if you're into that kind of stuff next we're on to the uh, couple mc10 stories so the first one here is from robert sieg and he's put up a program for the mc10 on the facebook group you can download that extends his text reader program we mentioned this before he actually had, had ported the i think the king james bible over And basically it does it in 6k chunks and reads it directly off the sd card kind of bypassing the built-in dos because it doesn't handle files of the size of a bible for example so he's been extending that now it'll uh it works with the mcx uh, 32 board the sd card reader board so basically it's still a work in progress but now he's been adding some extra utilities for it and now he's going to be adding a bunch of public domain books by thomas Paine, edgar Allan poe etc so you're basically going to get almost kind of like the, the free library of books that you can get on that you can actually read on your MC 10, but he's going to have stuff where you can like jump ahead chapters and you, you can save where you last left off reading. So when you bring it back up, it just brings it back up to where you left off. So you can continue reading a book. Um, it's kind of like the Amazon Kindle, I guess, for the MC 10 basically is what it's, it's turning into. So that's a pretty cool project. And then the second MC 10 one is uh, Jamie Cho, who's been involved with a lot of compiler stuff here. And uh, he's done an, an addition to his MC10 tools now, which includes an experimental at this point, but it seems to be working from what I've heard. Uh, basic to C10 command. Now C10 is the uh, cassette file format that's used for the MC10 for loading cassette files. And what he's got here is you he can actually take a, so you can take a basic program and just run it through his little utility, and it automatically creates the cassette uh, file for you. Uh, without having to go through some external stuff and uh, he's been you know tweaking it and adding stuff so it handles both ascii versions of basic programs and tokenized ones it'll automatically do those both correctly and uh, you can go download that and give it a shot like i said it's it's kind of in the early versions right now so if you find any bugs please report them to jamie on the mc10 facebook group but the mc10 has been definitely getting a lot of developer love lately with the compiler and now this and a few other utilities too so great time doing mc10 right ron (laughs) Right, Cap. <laughs> I don't have the list of who's on the call, so I don't even know if he's still on, but I thought I'd give him a shout out. Uh, next up, um, last week, and this is on the Dragon news now. So last week, Dragon Plus Electronics, we played the video of him showing the installation of the MSX2 Plus board, which is a sound chip and the sprite chip from the MSX2 console on a Dragon. Um, so he's got a couple of videos here. Uh, he's got a couple of Paris Rats games, the AGD games that are ported from the AGD engine for the Spectrum, uh, showing some of the new capabilities here. So I'll play a little bit. So this is Diamond Geezer. This one actually has the sound redone and the graphics redone. So I won't play the whole game or anything, mm-hmm. but we'll show a bit of I'm it. I'm doing this because I want to show you what happens
11: on the 6847 screen. Okay, so the game's fired up on the V- And the board so has its own can can video out, game, so you actually have a second V9 monitor. up there. Let's get some better sound. But on the 6847 screen, you can see that interference. And, and you hear the music already is coming up. because the, the processor is being switched into fast mode, which steals time from the 6847 speed on the tripod. That's and then I'm going to play a little bit play. of this game and try not to grumble.
4: Well, here you can see some of the sprite hardware. You can hear the, the multi-channel music in the background. All controlled by the 0.895 megahertz. Dragon. and this board should work possibly with some slight modifications to get to fit in the case with the Cocoa 1 and 2 as well so it's kind of an alternative to the Cocoa VGA so that's one game that uh, Pear has ported over and he's, he goes through and demonstrates like different screens and etc cetera, etc cetera. so if you want to see the full gameplay head over to the YouTube channel and the links and then this is a uh, one, I think we've demoed this briefly before, but this is Foggy, which is another one of the AGD games. A bit more colorful. Now the sound, he hasn't got fully working on this yet, but I mean, for a uh, Cocoa 1, 2, Dragon 3264 level hardware, this has got some pretty decent graphics. That clicking is not the game sound, that's his keyboard. But really smooth, really colorful. Now, going further along that line, he also did another uh, demo here, which is written by Paris Serrat as well. And this is to go through the various video modes that the MSX2 board has. Now, I did not know that they even had all these modes. so Some of this is new to me, but he's got some pretty impressive. Now, these are just still pictures uh, using the different color depths and different resolutions. So I'll let him run the menu here, and you'll see what the options are. So that you could start to
11: use BASIC on the board. In fact, I'll just do that first of all, so because I can run... The other program from that. And this box. is a driver that tells the
4: Dragon to switch even its text output to the MSX card versus the built in VDG. And you can see there, you get the OK prompt from Basics, and now you're typing on that.
11: Basically, that display is now replicated. We can have it any color we want, but it's blue at the moment. If I do a DIR, we get the drive. I can do a CLS. Oops. Fit much on the screen. But over here you can see it's showing in
4: both here. He's running an 80 column mode. In- so I'll just pause this here because, like I said, I wasn't too familiar with the MSX2 hardware as far as the, the video display. I knew it had sprites and stuff. But this is uh, running stuff. you got PAL, uh, RGB, and you've also got YJK. Now, some of you hardware video types might know. I don't know what YJK is. Is that a certain color mapping thing or what is that? Or CMYK? Maybe that's a different alternative name for it. I don't know. But you've got options where basically you can do like the MM1 used to have, you can do the interlaced modes. And if you look at, you know, if it says one single frame, that's just a regular 60 hertz refresh or 50 hertz refresh for PAL. And then if you see interlaced frames, that's where it does, you know, half the scan lines on one scan down, and then does the alternate half the second. So you're getting like 25 or 30 frames per second. So you get a bit of flicker, but you get a lot higher res. And going through the various modes here. I mean, 512 by 212, 16 color mode, and 256 by 212, or 256 by 424, 256 RGB colors. And these last ones here actually do up to 256 by 424 with 19,268 colors, which is beyond the Coco 3 by a long shot. So it's got some pretty impressive uh, pictures on here. Now, I'll just kind of skip ahead to the main ones, um, just to kind of show you what the, uh, the best mode is. Let's see. So we're almost getting to photographic quality here on a you know a 1980 era hardware with the MSX stuff added. Now, obviously you'd have to do a pretty specialized arcade game in order to, uh, you know, It'd have to be something that you're not moving too much of the screen, because I mean, this is a lot of data to move around. So running at .895 megahertz, trying to do all this mapping and stuff, and and then actually trying to draw everything would take a fair bit of time, because that's a ton of memory to move. Um Now, the sprite chips and stuff will help, because you can just load the sprites up and then just tell the chip, you know, you go move it over here at this speed, at this angle, type thing. So you can definitely do some, you know, uh, sh- you know, shoot 'em up type things. But for doing some, you know, screen scrolling and stuff, I don't know if it fully supports that or not, but. Uh, it's, it's pretty impressive results. In fact, if I remember, and Rick Eulen or some of the other people that might have fiddled with the MM1 more than I did, didn't they have one of these types of pictures with a stopwatch on it too, as one of the demos on the MM1?
6: That, that thing's been everywhere. I'm not really sure where it came from, but yeah, it's familiar.
4: I seem to recall this one when they, when, uh, they were running the demos, Paul was running the demos at Coco Fest or even Rainbow Fest before that, that this was one of the images, I think they actually used an MM1 to show off the 256 color mode with a 16 million color palette it's really cool to see what's, what that, that card's capable of. I mean, there's, there's a ton of opportunity there. And once they get it running on the Cocoa 1 and 2 as well, so you can get all this kind of you know power and sprites and multi-voice sound that doesn't slow the CPU down. I think you can make some pretty darn impressive games with it. Next up for the Dragon, we've got Steve Goodwin, who has been an update to the EMF emulator. So this is an online Dragon emulator. It's kind of like... Um, uh, what's the Cocoa one that's online there's a Cocoa one and two and x i guess has got a version of this too uh this one actually has a full debug mode enabled in it so you can actually have it you know, put the cpu instructions and what the registers are all containing while you're running kind of like what mame does in debug mode so he's actually got it linked up here at the post talking about it's on uh, the dragon group and facebook and here's the actual emulator itself and i've got it at the update currently shut off, so it's not updating this because it actually slows the machine down a little bit. But now that we're in the news, I can actually turn it back on. And you can actually see the code live running in basic here waiting for you to press a key on the keyboard. So if I did like a print H variable or something like that, you can actually watch it jump around and uh, you know, we'll do the typical. to play that Mavis Beacon there to think boat here because I suck at typing. You can watch the basic interpreter and even bouncing back into lower memory addresses to grab variables that basic uses live and then you can stop and step it through a single th- it's, it's much like the MAME debugger not quite as powerful as the MAME debugger but it's pretty good to do this on an online right in your browser type thing. So for those of you wanna try Dragon stuff, and I think he was also, he's added the option on this latest version that you can actually click and drag any file with a BAS extension, like a basic source code file. And I believe this works with both tokenized and ASCII though I'm not positive, but you can actually drag that file onto the browser window on top of the green screen where the emulator is and it'll actually mount that tape or whatever and load it in for you. So you can actually use this to debug Dragon programs without having a Dragon or even firing up an emulator, just your browser. And I would assume if your phone's powerful enough, you should be able to do this on a phone. So that's that's a pretty cool thing. Definitely play around with it a bit and let me know what you guys think about that. I thought it was pretty cool. And then the last one I've got, and this is a, a Ron Delvaux special. Now, is he on the call? Uh, looks like he has left. Okay, so I guess I'll cover this. So he put up a, a thing in his rainbow um about rainbow magazine, which of course was the premier magazine for the Coco back in the day. One of quite a few of them, but it was definitely the biggest one and probably the most common. And he basically had asked if you subscribe to rainbow post what you liked about the magazine. And he actually got quite a few comments and some of them were pretty interesting. It was like people telling what their favorite parts of the magazine are certain things they like doing in the magazine. Like, you know, some people like the ads, some people like, you know, typing in programs. Some people like the tutorials, um, the adventure game contests. Um, and then people are also mentioning stuff that they had published in it and, and stuff that they uh, they recognize some of the people in our group that have had stuff published in it. Um, so it's, it's actually just kind of interesting to see the various flavors of how, why, how and why people liked Rainbow Magazine back in the day. Um, there's quite a few interesting ones in here like the the coco gallery which i mean stevie was you know helping promote our own version of that that we have these days where you can you know draw a picture on a coco one two three dragon or mc10 and post it on the discord group and ron's also got a separate group for coco artwork too so some people really enjoyed that um you know game reviews uh, the people into talent communications like the november issues because you know, rainbow had themed issues every year certain months would be specific things august was games issue November was telecommunications, um, September was uh, education, etc. Turn of the Screw, which is Tony DiStefano's uh, hardware projects. And you know, also the head of Dist electronics that made a ton of hardware for the Coco back in the day. Um, mentioned that he got it, you know, for a free year because it, you know, in the later part of Coco Life, Tandy actually finally allowed some third party stuff and actually put in, uh, you know, the cards to get a subscription to rainbow right in the cases with the cocoa when you bought one whereas before they would deny any of this third-party stuff even existed uh people talking about dance battery kits the one-liners kind of ironic says they're now a 10-liner contest that jim gary's you know trying to win by sheer volume um as a teenager i'd read a cover cover that's something i did i would reread a right. cover to cover waiting for the next month to come out even when it was 350 pages long i did that well Mind that you, I was a red but
6: that was the real thing. At 350 pages, you're going to like something in there.
4: Yeah. So yeah. get it.
6: Yeah.
4: <laughs> I mean, I used to read Byte and Creative Computing cover to cover too, but I was a nerd. So, uh, yeah, Jennifer mentions this. Okay.
2: I remember sitting on my front porch in the summer with my Rainbow Magazine and just reading it. And oh, man, it was great.
4: I, I remember me being in geometry class, and I hated geometry in high school. And I would just kind of sneak it inside my geometry textbook, and every once in a while, the teacher would walk by, catch me reading it, grab it, take it up to the front, and hold it there for the entire damn oh, uh, the the class. Right. So I had to sit there and actually do geometry.
6: Oh, geez. that's the word. Oh,
4: I, honestly, then, I was puking almost as much as the cat was. You know.
6: <laughs> then there were layers. So you went through all the good parts, then you went back through through the less interesting parts, and then you kind of skipped through the rest, and finally you were just flipping through the ads until the next Rainbow came out, so.
4: Yeah. Uh, Jenny mentioned this magazine helped lead me to the past 26 years as a pro game developer, so it always holds a warm place in their heart. So that, that was cool, too, and that, that's happened to a few people, too, that uh, they got introduced to Cocoa early on through Rainbow or even some of the other magazines, and then they made computer careers out of it, some of them in the Cocoa at the beginning themselves, and then went on to, you know, more modern Pastures and others who just did the Cocoa stuff or others that got into it. But not fully enough to become a developer. Maybe they're too young or whatever. But then kept going at it. You know, later on with Windows or the Mac or whatever, and we actually made careers out of it. So that's that's cool too. Uh, talking about subscription magazines where you didn't have to actually type everything in by hand. Uh, BBS section. I remember that myself. Rainbow check, which is what Jerry Stratton's duplicated with modern tools. Um, Fred Skirbo, who's actually somebody who did uh, a fair bit of educational software and, and the rock band ones. I remember those used to have a program where we would draw like, you know, eight different uh, emblems for rock bands like Van Halen and the Thirty Eight Special, whatever. Then you type in this basic listing we'd draw them all on the graphic screen. And then I used to take them and like animate them a little bit, bounce them up and down along with the beat of the music or something like that. So it's kind of fun. It was was nice. It was kind of a nostalgia for me, too, because, I mean, that's definitely how I got started. I mean, I did start reading Creative Computing and Byte because we got them at school, but those were very generic to every platform. And, you know, there might be one article on the Coco or one article on an Atari or one article on a VIC-20 or whatever it was type thing. And when we got to the specialized magazines, that's where I started really learning because then you're seeing a lot of different articles approaching things in different ways. And the Coco had quite a few magazines. I mean, we did quite well, I think, comparatively with some of the other... Eight-bit uh, computers at the time. So. Of Someone's watching Security something.
9: And the Constitution of the United States. Yeah,
4: whoever's. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, guess it's gone. Thank you. So I mean, it was a nice. And if anybody else has any rainbow memories, if they want to go contribute to this thread, I think it's kind of neat to to get the backstories of everyone that uh, you know, went through that time period. Because I mean, eight. A- it was in uh, July of 1981 when Rainbow published their first, literally line-printed, single side or single sheet, double-sided. That was the first Rainbow magazine. It was a newsletter, and then eventually, within you know three to four years, it was 350 pages long in color. They were putting like you know the soft records in there to load programs off if you didn't have a tape deck, and they put in scratch and sniff adventure games and iron-ons for your T-shirt with the Coco Cat and all kinds of things. They got pretty fancy later on. And don't forget the other magazine too. I mean, Color Computer News actually beat Rainbow as the first Color Computer magazine. I think their first issue was April of '81, and then there was uh, Hot Cocoa Color Computer Magazine, and then there was other ones that you know did a fair bit of Cocoa stuff. Uh, 80 Micro Journal, uh, 80 Micro itself, uh, several 6 to eight micro journals, a couple others too. We we had quite a bit of magazine support back in the day, so that was pretty cool. And that is it for the news. Okay. Now what? So if people want to unmute (laughs) so they can talk again, go ahead. We had to mute because of the TV bleed. Now what? And for anybody on the panel here, I mean, everybody that's still on the call what was the first magazine for the Cocoa that you guys ever saw? Was it like a tear-setting microcomputer news? Because Tandy actually gave it for free when you first bought one, uh, at least in the earlier years. Uh, did people maybe find different ones, like some of the more generic ones like Byte or Creative Computing, then discovered the Cocoa through that? Just kind of curious where everybody else kind of came through on the, on the magazines for the Cocoa.
1: Well, Rainbow was the one I purchased.
2: <laughs> the only two I ever God. saw in the stores were Rainbow, and that I remember anyway, were Rainbow and Hot Cocoa. So I bought, each, I bought, I subscribed to Rainbow and I bought Hot Cocoa whenever they. I sell them in the store. I don't know why I didn't subscribe to Hot Coco, but.
6: After a couple of bad girlfriends, I found a Rainbow at the Muse stand was kind of a big bulky thing. And I was, you know, needed a computer that wasn't a 994A or a um, C64. And so that's kind of how I ended up in the Cocoa. I think, was it was a big shiny magazine.
4: like in my case i remember when color computer magazine first came out and i'm trying to remember what date that was it was early early to mid 1983 i think it was a couple months after hot cocoa came out And they actually tried to distribute in some major chains. And like in Canada, they had them at Canadian Tire of all places. This isn't even a bookstore. This is a tire repair shop and sells a bunch of hardware and stuff. And they had a computer because they were selling Amigas, or not Amigas at that point, that would have been like C64s and stuff. They sold a few computers. And for some reason they brought in Color Computer Magazine right from issue one. I picked those off the newsstand because they had one little section of the store that actually had newsstand for computer stuff because they were starting to sell computers that only lasted a few years, but that was the first time I'd ever saw that. I didn't even know the magazine was coming out. CCN. We had a couple guys in the local club because they, they were the hardcore like CCN color computer news was much more for the, the hobbyist tinker. That was for the hardware guys, the deep diving software guys. It wasn't many basic programs. There It was more machine language stuff. So that was a good technical one. Um, Hot Cocoa, I think, I mean, it was created by Wayne Green, you know, the same guy that did the old uh, Kilobaud and, you know, for ham radio people, and he did 80 micro for the Model 1, 2, 3, and actually that did cover the Cocoa until they split off Hot Cocoa as a separate thing because they were getting so much demand for the Cocoa stuff. And, you know, they already had a 400 page magazine for the Model 1, 2, 3, 16, 12, and everything else. So, uh, split it off. That ran for, I think, about four years, and then it came, it merged back in 80 micro at the end, and then, of course, you know, 80 micro eventually disappeared itself, so. I've had experience with pretty well most of the magazines at some point or another. I did buy hot cocoa and cook magazine off the newsstand. CCN. I used to borrow off some of the other people in rainbow. I subscribed just like you know some other people mentioned anybody else.
9: Yeah. I, um, although I was an Atari person back then, anything that was dealing with assembly language and such, I would definitely pick up and around 85, I did not realize that the, Although I knew that the uh, Commodore machines used the same 6502 core as the uh, Atari, I did not know that the Cocos did not use the 6502 core. So my dad would go to the magazine store once or twice a week, and usually he'd buy me a magazine. And I picked up an issue of Rainbow because there was an article about learning how to use Assembler, and I picked it up and took it home, and I was reading through it, and I'm like, wait, this doesn't look familiar at all. (laughs) so around 85 i guess it was maybe as early maybe as late as 86 i picked up a copy of rainbow and i do remember reading about it being interesting and shortly thereafter i was when i got my mc10 and used that a little bit but that is my limit of rainbow or any uh coco magazines from back in the day
4: (laughs) okay that's cool i didn't realize you'd actually gotten a rainbow back in the day
9: Yeah, just that one episode, because when I realized that the assembly was completely different and I didn't have a machine with a 6809, I didn't really.
4: It wasn't quite as useful as you hoped.
9: <laughs> right. And honestly, I wish I had actually considered, I, I wish I had gotten a cocoa because I know a couple people that had them for sale, dirt cheap, um, that I could have picked one up because I think that. Learning a different assembly language from the 6502 that I was learning would have been a significant help, especially yep. when I went into later um, languages like 68000 and uh, and C and other such things.
4: Yeah, it's always good to see the comparisons too. I mean, you can go between like the the Z80 and the you know the Intel 88886 architectures, which are quite a bit different than the 6809 and the the 6502. Yeah. You
9: kind of see yeah, what the alternatives are. I didn't know the x86 too well because I had several friends that were older than me and they were into older into older machines. Like my one friend actually had a deck system 20 in his garage. And those people that I looked to, up to would tell me that PCs are pieces of junk and the processors terrible in them. Don't touch them. <laughs> so in that, some
4: ways, they were that whole segmented memory and and right, registers was right, a pain in the butt. Right. But their interrupt controller was awesome. That thing was yeah. great.
9: I mean, I understand them now. I've I've done actually some programming in them, so I understood them. But when it was time for me to get something else and go and uh, a little bit bigger than the eight bit, I actually had picked up a uh, Sun three sixty. So I went a completely different <laughs> direction on yeah.
4: that. We we had a couple people at at Rainbow Fest that used to bring Sun three sixty Scott. Uh... I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right, Gripen who actually did the STG BBS network and yeah. did a lot of programming for the MM1 stuff. He actually had a Sun360 used to bring to Coco Fest and he was, you know, it's the size of a small portable fridge or something that he'd bring in.
9: Yeah.
4: And then run that, hooked up to his MM1 or whatever. And then, uh, you know, from having a big iron back at home type thing, I mean, Bill Noble's, we've talked about him on the show before too, where we used to run a PDP 1134 at work, which is the size of a full-size refrigerator and takes a huge amount of power. So he actually took it home when, when we shut it down and he lived in an apartment at the time. And when he first plugged it in and he had the big external hard drives that are like, you know, three feet high and three feet wide.
5: Dishwasher size.
4: Yeah. The <laughs> ones you can unscrew and, you know, yeah. Get the like, Or ko yeah, so 2 or something. He had two of those. He had a nine track magnetic tape drive, which is the height of a fridge. And then he had the PDP itself. He plugged it all in and turned it on and literally the, the lights in the entire apartment block he was in dimmed. <laughs> stuck in so much power and then he got his power built the end of the month and he never turned it on again he donated it to one of our technical institutes
5: after that
9: <laughs> yeah my friend with the uh with the deck system 20 he actually uh got one of the smaller pdp 11s one that was about the size of a refrigerator and um when i was over his house i told him i wanted it and he's like well i don't know about that and i'm like why not how much do you want for it he goes well I'd sell it to you for two hundred dollars but before you do that, here's the power cable take because this this guy was a friend was one of my best friends in high school and he said, "Here's the power cable take it to your dad tell him that you want to get a computer and you need this outlet put into your room and it was a a um, hundred amp plug yeah. two twenty volt hundred amp plug and I take it to my dad and I said, "Hey, hey dad he goes what?" and I says friend of mine, uh, Rob's offering me a computer for 200 bucks. And he goes, yeah. And, and I go, and he said that before he'll sell it to me, I need to get an outlet for it in my room. He goes, okay. And uh, I said, well, I need your help installing it. And he goes, okay, what kind of outlet you need? And I showed him the plug because my dad was an engineer. And um, so he knew electric electrical engineering pretty well. I showed it to him and I said, well, I need an, I need a socket for this. He looks at it, looks at me. And he goes, no, I'm like, yeah, but he goes, no. I'm like, but that, uh, no, that's, I'm like, but he's like, the answer is no. So I turn around and I go, mom, she goes, you heard your father.
6: (laughs) (laughs) That was a house worth the juice at that time.
9: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, Eventually, I traded my car for a uh, for a PDP eleven, and I was not allowed to even bring it in the house, let alone plug it in. And that was about three months before I got kicked out.
4: Go you know ahead, Mikey. You were about to say something too.
5: Oh, um, th- I, I know th- this is off topic from the um, magazine thing, but. I was offered uh, some kind of a deck vax at some time and I was smart enough to know, uh, one don't have room 2 don't have power. I passed up on it. People were like, but you're obsolete. You're the obsolete computer systems guy. I'm like, yeah, I know better than that. Yeah. Cause that's their actual
4: mainframe, isn't it? Or- I don't
5: know. I have no idea what kind of vax it was, to be honest. I, I just immediately, I immediately declined it because I knew I couldn't didn't have room couldn't plug it in, you know? Oh, yeah, because we love playing around a, with that thing.
4: But. I think we had an eleven seven eighty at at university. But when I went there in eighty five, and it was it was a whole room.
5: Yeah.
9: Yeah, the seven eighty was the large one.
4: <laughs> and any other last uh, rainbow or any other
5: magazines? Magazine?
6: Well, yeah. Sadly, the end of the rainbow. I had all of my rainbows in milk crates in the basement of my apartment before I bought this house, and. uh when I dumped them out, they were just a brick.
5: Ah, uh, they got
4: the wet. paper ones?
5: Yeah.
6: Yeah. The, well, all the rainbows. I had two milk crates full and they turned into two bricks. They
5: Flooded, got wet wet or damp, and yeah, just turned something, into a brick. So it wasn't it wasn't you know, magazines
3: anymore, it was paper mache, is what you're
6: no, saying. Yeah. It was, it was bricks. Was we could we could build a house on these. <laughs>
1: yeah.
9: Hey, Rick, if uh, it makes you feel any better, I had this same thing happen to me for the um, Antic, which is a magazine for the Atari. Um, all except for three episodes from the entire run. all right. I, had, I mean, a, a plastic crate and they turned into a solid block of uh, of uh, paper. <laughs> they returned to their wood roots.
5: <laughs> yeah. I took the out of it. I think... As a kid, I had a subscription to Rainbow for a while, I think I convinced my parents to buy that for me. And then uh, sometime later, um, one of my uh, time and Sinclair friends, you know, because I was, I also had a, a Timex and Sinclair 1000 I was in that user group as well. That's the color computer one. Um, he had um, I think it's uh, color computer news. And he gave me it gave me some uh some copies of that of course uh you know in my room at the time was piled full of junk so they all got stepped on and the pages fell off i probably still have a couple of them but i remember trying to type in programs from some of those some unsuccessfully
4: yeah it's pretty
5: large listings
3: I think, um, you know, we got into it uh, a little later. It wasn't, it wasn't until like eight Christmas of 84, we got our cocoa. And I think at the time it came with a free, sub- we, some deal where there was a free subscription to, I think it was TR City Computer News from Radio Shack. And then shortly after that, that ended. And then we, in the the end of the, the rest of the subscription was fulfilled with Rainbow. And then eventually I think we got a subscription to Rainbow, but that's my foggy, uh, that's my foggy rendition of it anyway.
4: Yeah, I think a lot of us. I mean, especially if we were teenagers at the time. I mean, the magazines were the way you learned. The manual got you started, but only took you so far. The magazines, you know, they they branched out into hardware projects, software projects, operating systems, languages, you know, kinds of stuff. Not just the games. Those are t- you know a ton of ads and stuff for games too, or typing games and stuff as well. So they kind of expanded the education of learning the computer itself far beyond what you know Radio Shack manuals could do. Even though the you know, Radio Shack manuals, especially the basic ones, are some of the best ever made for. A microcomputer
2: Yeah, those were amazing manuals absolutely it's funny when I got my Coco I don't, I don't even remember I don't even think learning how to program was even in my on my radar but when I got the books I just started following them and bingo bango I, I learned how to program <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah I did the opposite I'd already used the PEP and the Apple 2 Plus at that point and it was programming that really fascinated me because you know my, my parents were helping fund it. I funded some of it from paper money, but I didn't know enough to buy a Coco because it was 550 bucks for 4K at the time. And uh, <clears throat> they were you know, taking a look, you know, there's an Intellivision, there's an Atari 2600. If you want to play games, it's it's a lot cheaper to get one of these things. And I go, no, 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 I want to learn a program. That's, that's the whole point here. Like the games is secondary for me, which I guess proves I was really a nerd. Um, and now you have a Coco. <laughs> yeah, I got offered you, we'll buy you an Atari 2600, you know, and then you, you know, instead of you have <laughs> to pay half for this computer, no, I want the computer so well if, if i ma- got
2: mine for games and ended up learning how to program that proves all the parents wrong who said video games are no good and they won't lead anywhere
9: <laughs> if it makes you feel any better i uh used a computer for about two and a half years for uh programming and such before i ever played my first game on one now i don't
4: want least- to try to rip- oh, go ahead I
2: probably spent about 50% programming, 50% playing games. I'd kind of go back and forth as my...
4: uh... Yeah, me was more like 75, 25, more 75 programming, 25 games. I just want to get through, like, we want to try to wrap this up so that Boat's not late for his own show. Um, Yeah. And and also a plug again for boat here that uh, they're going to be doing both the Atari 1200XL show and the Coco show, the the live recording of uh, for the March. Thanks, (laughs) Curtis. Be the cross promotion plug in here I when you guys go a... do
2: donkey king
4: we, are, I think we already
10: did donkey king
4: i yeah. think oh, okay. that was like Cocoa show episode three or
2: something. Uh, no, i think you did i'm sorry sorry curtis go ahead
4: well i just want to wrap up here like uh, i think everybody's kind of said their piece on the magazine so i just wanted to get through some of the comments because there's been quite a few streaming through the chat here which i haven't been able to catch up on um so just going through here um Diego says he used Micosystemis my, from Brazil. It had some Cocoa articles and listings from time to time. No real Cocoa magazines were ever available down there. Um, Canadian Retro Things, which is Ken. He used to live in Saskatchewan, too, and he remembers Canadian Tire selling the Coleco Atom. I forgot about that. They did sell the Atom as well. I, I do remember that. I know they sold the Amiga later on. It was one of the last machines they carried. Um, Six Eves from the UK said we subscribed, quote, quote, to a Dragon user with our news agent, then it suddenly went proper subscription only without notice, and I didn't see it again until getting a complete set secondhand several years later. Um, Frederick D. Provencho who's actually one of our contributors to Nitros 9 ease of Use. Uh, that's right, that's how I got into Rainbow Tier City Microcomputer News ended its run and it offered Rainbow to fulfill that year's subscription. Now that was the free... Forty-eight page mini magazine for all the Tiros City computers on the Tandy One Thousands that Tandy themselves put out, I think, bi-monthly or something like that. So the, when the when they started shutting that magazine down, they actually offered you know you could get eighty micro if you have a model one, two, three, whatever. You can get Rainbow if you're a Coco user. I can't remember what they gave as a subscription, maybe PCM or something for the Tandy One Thousand. And he said he accepted it. Was hooked. Rainbow was awesome. Tom Eric Gunderson says when Dragon user went subscription only and wouldn't send to Norway, I subscribed through some friends of the family in the UK and they sent it to me every month. Oh, so they didn't actually show it on the newsstands after a certain amount of time. I know some other magazines that did that too. They went and subscription only just trying to save money on the distribution, you know, costs of getting it out to, to newsstands and then having all the returns for anything not sold. And basically if if you're hitting that point, that's usually the death knell. You're you're not gonna last too much longer. So and Frederico said, My parents refused to buy me a game console. They got me my first cocoa for Christmas, though. My my parents actually, you know, thought it might not be a bad idea because it was like literally a third the cost, <laughs> but it was pretty damn and I did contribute half the cost myself. I saved on my paper route for almost a year, originally planning on getting a, a pet. And then when I saw the cocoa at, at Radio Shack and how much easier it was to program graphics, that convinced me. And the Apple was way too expensive so that's that's that catches up the comments from the chat on the magazines and i don't have anything more to add so and i know we want to get boat out of here on time
6: we're ready to run the outro then push
3: the button frank
4: yeah and if there's any last thoughts we'll pick them up after
0: This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, CocoTalk.live. CocoTalk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to... Alan Murphy, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, Grant Leedy, James Diffendaffer, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert. Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Moroda, Nick Moroda, Nick Moroda, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Eulen, Rob Inman, Ron Vo, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's i-m-a-c-o-c-o-n-u-t.com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered and produced by D Bruce Moore. Coco forever people.
6: And we're back. Final
4: thoughts? Well,
3: wow. Coco early, Coco often.
4: Yeah. yeah. And a big Sounds plug good. for next week. 200th episode. Get your videos in, you know, talking about your your favorite parts of the show or even favorite parts of the Coco community as a whole. Uh, basically, it's going to be a celebration. Since we didn't really get a full 40th anniversary celebration, you can celebrate the 40th anniversary of the Coco itself or celebrate the 200th episode of Coco Talk. Um, you pick your favorite moments from the show. Pick your favorite moments from Coco history, and just send them in as, as quickly as you can, so we can include them on next doesn't week's. Doesn't matter how college. long you
2: doesn't matter how long you've been here, even if you've been here only for a couple of weeks. Yeah.
4: And since it's much of the country months. is going to be uh, frozen and snowed in this week, you have plenty of time. Yeah, exactly. Right. Assuming as internet still works, I mean, there's a bit of problem there, but yeah, exactly. And don't That's forget,
2: uh, don't forget Stevie's plea for uh, the doing the chant. Download don't the video. Chance. Download the audio, play it on your headphones, and record your chat, and send that in.
4: And also, if uh, you're artistically inclined with Color Max, Coco Max, et cetera, then uh, send in some artwork. Uh, we have the page set up. Ron has a page on Facebook. You can contribute to it either way. And uh, we can you know, show them off on the show here type thing. I know we've got some talented musicians in the group. I know we have some talented artists in the group. I'm not either of those, but <laughs> <laughs> as anybody's heard me play at that Coco Fest will attest. <laughs> Here, it's better than your soldering. <laughs> and a last minute plug, you know, the the, the Coco show and the Atari show at the uh, Twitch TV channel for the Amigos.
0: In seven minutes.
4: Yeah, let's go check that out. Boat I had to leave early because he actually has to get set up for the show there. So Aaron will be there and Boat. I will okay. be there in chat.
3: Thanks so, for following
4: the Coco show.
2: Thanks for taking over, night. Mark.
3: Yep. Good luck. Press the button. Bye. See, ya. Bye. See you next week. 200. Okay.